Welcome to the Chow Podcast, hosted by Animal Friends of Wyoming County, where our mission is to help care for animals held by the Wyoming County Animal Shelter and promote responsible pet care in Wyoming County. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of the Animal Friends of Wyoming County Chow Podcast. I am your host, Sam Goodell, the president of Animal Friends of Wyoming County. And we are getting into a very interesting topic. This is one I personally have been looking forward to. I know it probably sounds like I say this every time I go into a podcast because I'm so excited and nervous at the same time. But this one is really interesting because law always fascinates me, how laws are implemented, how they're... um, how they're enforced, how they're funded, everything in regards to it. And our episode is called The Law and the Paw. And I'm excited to introduce our special guest in a moment. But first, I want to introduce our co-host for today. Uh, we have re- returning co-host Rochelle. How's it going, Rochelle? Hi, it's going well, thank you. Cool, cool. And uh, we have one of our new board members. It's her first time on the podcast herself, named Cassandra. How's it going today, Cassandra? Introduce yourself to our world. (laughs) Okay. I'm Cassandra Redding. Um, I have lived in Wyoming County my whole life. Uh, Just joined Animal Friends last year, Mm -hmm. and I'm the treasurer. Um, I have married to Randy with two children, Cody and Colin, and I have three grandchildren, Damon, Diesel, and Connor. I work for the county at the treasurer's office. Perfect, perfect. And what got you interested in Animal Friends to begin with or volunteering at the shelter in general? Well, I've always been in, interested in dogs. I love dogs. They're my favorite animal. And I recently adopted a puppy from puppies that they took in in October. We adopted her. She's going to be one next next month. So it'll be so fun. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you for adopting. And you were a member before Animal Friends, before you were board director. Yeah board member. And so thank you so much for stepping up and joining us on a more intimate level and overseeing the operations of Animal Friends. And um, we're we're very excited. We're very excited (laughs) to see what's going to happen in the future. And also joining today uh, with us, before we get to our guest of honor, we have returning um, guest, Animal Control Officer Justa Goodell. How's it going today? It's going good. Good, good. Anything new you want to report on? Anything exciting? No, we um, applied for a grant, and we were able to get that, so we're waiting for some official word. So there'll be some changes here at the shelter. New air uh, vent system, which is required by law by some of the changes has been made in the law for shelters. Um, a backup generator and some flooring that we've been looking for. So that's off the top of my head. I think there's a few other things. I just can't remember them all. So, yeah, we're excited about that. Awesome, awesome. We have new puppies born here, so we're, you never know what's going to happen behind the doors of this building. So, Perfect. Yeah. All, all's going well. That is so true. You never know what happens here at the animal shelter. Things that come in, things that um, get surrendered, things, all the adoptions, the events that we have going on. So definitely stay tuned to our, um, our social media sites because you never know what's going to pop up. And speaking of laws, we're going to turn it over to our main guest of honor, um, so I'll let you introduce yourself, Patty. How's it going today, by the way? It's going very well, Sam. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm Patty Famoletti, and um, you never I say her name, her last name, right? No, I told her that. <laughs> yeah, my name is difficult. And I've been in the 
the shelter world for the past 30 years in one capacity or another. I'm a licensed vet tech who worked at an animal hospital and then went to a shelter for nine years and um, was a dog control officer. And then I went to New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets and worked as an animal health inspector. And I retired in uh, 2020, just in time for the COVID. And I missed all of that. Thank you. I'm very appreciative that I got out before that mess. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet. Yes. Yeah. So what have you been doing? How have you been keeping busy since retirement? Well, since retirement, I uh, work part-time per diem for Lollipop Farm in their law enforcement division, answering their telephone, which is very interesting. (laughs) And uh, I've also put together a dog control officer seminar last year, which you attended. Mm -hmm. And I've done that for uh, many years when I worked for the state. I had municipality sponsor seminars where we instructed dog control officers and law and anything else that crosses the path when you're trying to run an animal shelter and seize dogs. Mm. And uh, it gets complicated, and that's why we're here today. Yes, yes, exactly. That's a very good way to segue into the the main topic at hand. Um, I think one of the biggest questions that a lot of people have, and they ask veterinarians, they ask animal rescues, they ask animal control officers, what does the law say about this? Or is there something legal to, to happen here with an animal incident and things like that? And so we're going to dive into most of that today. And let's just start off with Article 7 of Ag and Markets. Can you explain some of that to our audience and what that entails? Article 7 is an agriculture and markets law in New York State, and it's for the control of dogs. So it involves dog licensing. And that's why in New York State, you are required to license your dog and its instructions to the municipalities on what they need to do for the dog licensing and what dogs need to be licensed. For instance, a lot of people feel that they have a service dog or a therapy dog and it does not need to be licensed. That is not true. They must be licensed, but the fee for the license can be exempt, which means they don't have to collect the fee. That is the choice of the municipality. So um, Article 7 also covers dog control officers, what their duties are, violations of New York state law in which the dog control officer has the power to serve appearance tickets, which I've heard from police departments that dog control officers cannot do that, and that is not true. It's provided for in Article 7. And then the big one is um, dangerous dogs. So dangerous dogs is also in Article 7. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't stuff. Yeah. Tough stuff. So there's a lot in Article 7. Uh, Oh, also local laws. So any local law that is enacted is covered under Article 7 enforcement by a dog control officer. They also mention police officers. In any of these laws, police officers are mentioned. But even though they have the power to do certain things, of course, we all know police officers just uh, don't want to get involved. So that's why Article 7, your dog control officer, is very important Mm -hmm. that they know Article 7. For nine years, I was a dog control officer. I taught probably 14 seminars, and I still have to refer to each section of the law to answer a question. It's always good to refer back to the wording of the law whenever something happens. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a photographic mind, so 
Hey, that's that's fine. That's why we have these written down on paper and uh, all, the, all these laws, by the way, to anyone who's listening. If you're ever curious to read the duties of a dog control officer or the responsibilities under the law and what they can do, can't do, things like that, Article 7 is online. All of all the New York State laws are online if you look at the right spots. Um, so if anyone's curious on, hey, I want to be a dog control officer someday, and you're curious what they can and can't do, or maybe there's a situation that you are working with your animal control officer on that um, you feel is probably neglect or abuse or anything, any topic, whatever it is you're working with them on, and you're wondering what can the law the animal control officer do under the law, what they're permitted to do or supposed to do, Article 7 explains everything for the duties of an animal control officer. And so um, that is, that's definitely a big topic I'd like my mom and Patty to really discuss in, in detail on to the best that I can uh, as it pertains to the law because um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions on what an animal control officer can do, what they can't do. And as Patty, as you just said, that there are some things that, Animal control officers actually have the power to do that other places don't think they do, but it's protected under the law. And then I'm sure there are things like when it comes to humane investigating and things of that nature that animal control does not have the responsibility to do. That's passed on to somebody else with that power. It's a good point. So animal cruelty is Article 26. And to find any of the New York state laws in agriculture, all you have to do is just Google New York state law. And all the laws come up, and you just go down the list, and you'll find Article 7. Or you go into Ag and Markets, and then you'll find Article 7, and you will find Article 26. So the powers of peace officers is Section 371 in Article 26 and does not include a dog control officer. So dog control officers do not have any power to enforce cruelty under Article 26. Article 7 there is nothing in the duties assigned to a dog control officer that covers animal cruelty. This is the problem. The dog control officer or animal control officer will get the complaint. So now what do you do with the complaint? And not every county has a law enforcement agency through their SPCA or Humane Society. So what does the municipality want their dog control officer to do? It's always good to have the municipality in the know and giving permission for the dog control officer to respond to situations even though they have no enforcement power. So basically what happens is the dog control officer will respond to, my dog is left outside or my neighbor's dog is left outside all the time no food and water, it barks constantly, the sun is beating down on the dog, what can you do? So the dog control officer will go and put eyes on the animal. However, they must stay within the civil rights of the individual. They can't go walking around the property. They can only be in a place where they can are legally allowed to be, which would be basically walking up to the front door Mm -hmm. And seeing what they can from the streets, they can't just go walk all over your property. Mm -hmm. So it can become difficult. If it's easy for the dog control officer to see the situation and know there's a problem, they must bring in an, a police officer. Mm -hmm. Because a police officer, which is a sheriff, state police, uh, regular municipal police officer, mm -hmm. they can do the enforcement. By enforcement, I mean 
take the dog if necessary. The dog control officer, if the person who owns the animal is home, they can educate them. Mm-hmm. This is the law. This is what you need to do. Can you bring your animal in right away? Basically, what you want to do is mitigate. You don't want the situation to continue. Mm-hmm. Education, mitigation, and hopefully the person now understands they can't do that any longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? You want me to, I, I can go on and on. Do you, you want me to go on? <laughs> certainly do, yeah, because the, okay. there is a lot entailed in this, and so... Well, the other part is that police officers are reluctant to respond to any of these situations. They're busy. They have people situations. They have much more important things in, that occur than t- to deal with an animal. So reasonable situations are the dog control officer is going to try to get everything taken care of without bringing in an officer. But if you have to, then you can call the Humane Society. So... Working at Lollipop Farm part-time, I get those phone calls, and they have four officers, and they will respond, but it might take them two days to respond to a situation. And they only have certain counties that they cover. Mm. And uh, depending on the situation, they may come into another county to assist, but um, they're busy, but they will go and do their investigation, and then they have enforcement power if they so choose. Mm -hmm. So Article 26, the powers of police officers, a police officer or peace officer must enforce Mm -hmm. animal cruelty that they see. The officers that work for the Humane Society may, which means they have more power in some ways to just mitigate that situation, Mm -hmm. work with the individuals. They can keep animals on their own property and keep checking on them and asking for the individual's to take care of the animals in a specific way. So in context for like Wyoming County, Wyoming County doesn't have a humane investigator. Yes, correct. So often the animal shelter here gets phone calls on, there's a dog that's been tied out. I think it's animal cruelty or other things like that. And Officer Goodell and Officer Clump, they do what they can to mitigate them like through phone and things like that. Can municipalities give animal control officers more power if their county doesn't have a humane investigator? They cannot. So there are a couple of counties or municipalities in New York State that their dog control officer is given the the power to enforce animal cruelty violations through the criminal procedure law. I don't know how many years ago it is now, but they petitioned the governor and at the time... Oh, it was the one that was after Pataki. Uh, And the governor at that time decided allowing dog control officers to have the power of peace officers to enforce cruelty was too much power. So they did not include dog control officers in there in any more in the CPL. So like the town of Arcadia in Wayne County, their dog control officer is also a cruelty investigator. Uh, The uh, city of Elmira has one, and then the town of Clarence in um, Buffalo, in Erie County. But they are all given those duties and power through New York State criminal procedure law. Hmm. So unfortunately, Wyoming County, you have to rely on your police department, which Hmm. is... Your sheriff, you don't have any towns that have their own 
police departments, correct? We do have a couple. Yeah, yeah. Perry. Yes, yeah. Yep, oh, divisions. Perry. I forget about Perry. Yes. And those officers are basically going to rely on the dog control officer for all the knowledge that they need in order to see, okay, what is the violation here you're talking about? And then why do you want me to take this dog? And then what's going to happen with this dog? And yeah, what else do I need to do? Because they get very little training Mm -hmm. from New York State and handling cruelty investigations. And we've been fortunate in Wyoming County. They always want to work with us. I mean, well, you're good people to work with. Yeah. Well, yes. Let's hope so. You know, we've, but yeah. we, they're really eager to get any knowledge they can. And if we call saying, we think we need to have you assist, they're right there. And so, vice versa. When vice they versa. need you, you're right there because th- some of them are um, not anyway knowledgeable about handling an aggressive dog in a home or any dog that you just have to go and pick up from somebody's personal residence. So they're relying on you for that. They are. Mm -hmm. So we've been fortunate um, the 25 plus years I've worked for the county that to have such good people to work with in Mm -hmm. law enforcement. So I can't even think of one incidence that I've ever dealt with law enforcement where it was a negative. They always knew you know, we need help or they need help or vice versa. So. I applaud you for that. That yeah. is wonderful. But you do have to work at that. You can't yes. just, you can't be rude and you got to be respectful of what they're doing and um, let them do the lead and you're just coming in. So, yeah, you have to support yeah. staff. That's right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So in Wyoming County situation, you could probably answer this um uh, Officer Goodell, in regards to humane investigating and things like that, when you get the phone call from someone that there's livestock that's not being treated right or anything cruelty related, how do you in in Wyoming County, how do you handle that as an animal control officer? Well, what I have done in the last five years, years ago, I didn't do it. But now in the last five years, before I go on the call, I call down the sheriff's department, talked with a deputy, and directly tell him why I'm going and where I'm going, just to make sure that the background of that particular residence or address or person is not somebody that I would need law enforcement with. Very smart. Because as years have gone on, it becomes a more volatile situation quicker. Uh, Years ago, you could knock on a door and say, hey, someone thinks your horses are thin, can we chat? Now, they even see a, a county vehicle or a government vehicle on the property. They're right out the door. They don't even know why I'm there. I could be because I need help. But, you know, they're, they're, they're not all people, but often that's what we get. So, actually, when we're serving tickets, we do the same thing. I make sure they know that we're serving tickets in a particular area, and these are the places we're going Anything ring a bell that we need to be worried about. So just for our safety, you know, I, I want to grow old. I don't want to have a part of my body missing or be dead alongside the road, you know, because people are angry. So, um, so then I tell them why we're going out, and they have then some knowledge in dispatch that we're out. So then I approach the residents and whatever the complaint is. In the spring, it's generally thin horses because they're just coming out of the barn. And and most of the time, it's not a valid complaint. It just looks that way from the road. Or if there's a blanket on a horse, there's an assumption they're hiding something, which isn't the case. So I always go with it in the back of my mind that 
the person owning that animal knows what they're doing. I don't want to discredit them until I know I need to say we've got a problem. So then we, we go out. And if I see there's a problem, then I retreat back to my vehicle. I let them know why I'm doing that. And then I call law enforcement. And then we, we try to handle it with a plan because that's usually what the deputies will say. What do you want to do here? And I don't want to take somebody's 25-year-old horse because they haven't hit vetted in 10 years. And all they fed it was lousy hail winter. There has been no green. The teeth haven't been floated. The, the hooves haven't been looked at. They haven't seen a vet. Probably hasn't been wormed, all that. So we come up with a plan. And in general, that's what they want because they don't want to be charged. And usually when you start a process that way, it's usually a three-month process. So the initial call is what address it, what the problem is. They've got a month. I give them a month to correct. That's giving me, I want like three months worth of food in the barn for the horse. I want a veterinarian and documentation. The vet has come out and treated or made an assessment. And I want to be able to stop at any time just to see how things are going. And then I make an appointment for the next visit. And if there's a cleanup that needs to be done, they've got this month to do it in. Um, And then when I go back the second month, we make an assessment. Things are progressing. By the third month, there should you, by the second month, you usually see weight gain if they're starting to be fed right and they've been vetted. In the third month, you're really seeing a change in the horse. Or if they don't want this animal, we'll help them then find another place for it to rescue. That's rare. Oftentimes we go out and the horse is 40 years old or 35. So it's an age thing that we're seeing a thin horse with, which like a dog, they get thin as they get older. So, But there might be some things that could be done to enhance their diet to make that elderly horse maybe a little better shape. Sometimes it's poor conditions where there's everything they're eating, they're burning up to maintain their heat through the winter or, you know, can, they're just not getting the proper sheltering that they need in our climate. Um, so that's kind of how we address it. When it comes to dogs, uh, it's a little different. Um, to me, it's a little different because it's a little bit more of a health, public health risk, especially in a village where you've got somebody who's got dogs in bad shape. Um, I don't give them a month. We got you got a week to get into a vet and you clean this up. I'll see you in seven days. I give them that time. And that means licensing done, all of it done in seven days. They're going to have to really work at it. But we've had a few cases where that hasn't worked, and we've ended up, you know, going to a judge and having to have the dog seized through the judge because we can't seize an, an animal without the authorities saying we can. So usually it's a judge. I've never seized one on my own account. A court. I actually wouldn't want that responsibility to to be the one to take someone's family pet because I think it needs to be taken. We don't always please people when we go out on complaints because sometimes the conditions are, they might be borderline, but they do meet what the egg markets requires. So sometimes it's kind of that line that you, you more than have to educate the person where it could be a better visual effect on the community. So they're seeing something that just doesn't look right often Maybe they need to rethink how they're either putting their dog out or how long they're leaving it out or, you know, it's a water bowl. Does it have to be green water in there? You know, all those kind of things. So you have to kind of maneuver through. Mm. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Yeah. So you become the witness to the enforcement that the officer yep. is doing yep. it's by seizing the dog. Okay. Yep. Excellent. 
That's the only way I know how to protect the county and myself from any lawsuit or I have to let the authorities take over. Mm-hmm. Now, I've most of the cases uh, that we have dealt with when it's come to some hoarding situations have been law enforcement calling me. We've got a problem and we don't know what to do. Then I get there and say, I can tell you what needs to be done, but are you willing to do this? And it's absolutely when we seized 54 dogs from the house up in Banks Road, it was a no-brainer. But that's a lot of dogs to put into a building here. Yes, it On is. top of dogs we already had. I mean, it wasn't like we were just taking those 54. And all every one of them had to see a vet. So we had a vet come in, and we spent a whole morning of going assessment on dogs. We numbered them, took pictures, so we had a file. and Yeah. It's tough. That's tough stuff to do. And it is so expensive for a county. It's so taxing for a facility. Uh, people don't realize the trickle down from a, an event like that. And what was the result of that? Did they get their dogs back? The no, owner? no, they Excellent. surrendered them all and then they were charged. And I don't remember how many months one of them did time. Oh, or, very good. Yeah. Which, from our understanding now, since that has happened, the law has changed where that's not something they can do anymore. They can't. I'm trying to remember the exact, I think it was the county attorney had said at one point that they had changed the law where they, the punishment that the, the individual received, he cannot receive that anymore because it's not deemed a... Um, Civil? I'm not sure. There's specific wording. I don't know, it's but it's not you know. life threatening, or it's. Um, I'll have to look it up again, and we'll definitely revisit this too when we talk about animal hoarding in the future. But yeah, what happened to him? The the punishment cannot happen anymore, unfortunately, due to some of the new laws that had changed before 2020. Even I think it was 2019 or something like that. They had changed the statute or something. Well, you may see a change in the laws now with the new, some of the new laws, maybe. I don't know. I'm Well, what if they have 54 dogs, were they dog breeders? No. No. Just personal animals? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a hoarding case. The only thing that I can think of is maybe the bonding situation is what you're referring to. Because mm-hmm. if you seize the 54 dogs, then... The person that was uh, the defendant would be charged the cost of the animals unless they choose to turn the animals over. And that's what they did. Which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. We had had two deceased dogs there. Oh, So they were charged with a cruelty charge on top of the hoarding. Okay. And usually that's just Section 353. That's the broad-based section where it's just neglect and depriving an animal of food and water and medical care sustenance which includes medical care yeah Mm. and that's i don't think that's changed but um yeah i'm wondering if you're thinking of can they have another animal afterwards i didn't find anything in the law which said they could never yeah i wish i could have an animal again what the attorney has said it was something to the degree of if it's Civil or if it's, I think it had something to do with the bonding. How do you mention it? I think it was the fees. It was. I don't think it had anything to do with the jail time, but I think it was the fees oh, that had okay. changed. Um, 
And again, I, I escapes me on the top of my head what the wording is, but once it comes to me, of course, <laughs> I'm going to jot it down so I remember it properly. Yeah. Hoarding cases are tough because it really is a mental illness. And mm-hmm. finally, we're recognizing it as a mental illness for years. There's always been a cat lady down the street. There's always been somebody <laughs> who had too many dogs. Really, I mean, there's no community that isn't over, you know, last hundred years. But as we've seen an increase in mental illness in our communities, we're seeing an increase in animal hoarding as well as hoarding in general. You ask any fireman or rescue, 911 person goes into a home. About two-thirds of the homes they go into, they have trouble getting their gurney in to get the, the patient. It's a tough, it's tough. It is bad out there. And people are holding on to things. And that is an illness when you can't let go of paper, books, furniture for three generations. You know, your grandma died, you got their furniture. Then mom died, you got their furniture. You already had your furniture before you know it. You're just uh, rows of desks and tables. And and before you know it, you can't see the windows. And it's dirty. And then you put an animal in the middle of all that. And then we're looking at filth, just plain dirty conditions. And it's one thing to have an accumulation of too much. And it's another thing to throw feces and urine on top of all that. And that's where you you end up with a, a real mess. So, I, I you know, I, I can't tell you there's not a week that goes by that I don't witness it firsthand at a door somewhere here in our county where it's just... They need. They just need help. A lot of them are my age. I'm 63 now and up. There's not as many younger people like that. But boy, I see a lot. Well, I should say 50 and up, maybe. Um, and I'm not sure what's going on. But you, it is definitely an increase in me- a mental illnesses. Of, I think we're seeing it more and more. So, Patty, in in your experience, to um, jump off of of Officer Goodell's point. Um, to you, as an animal control officer, how were humane investigations conducted in the area that you reside in? I worked for Genesee County, so we had the sheriff's department. And uh, like here in Wyoming, we had a lot of cooperation. Mm-hmm. And there was a case where one of our deputies saw a cow wandering and thought, why is there one cow wandering in an unfenced area? So in his investigation, he ended up going to a barn back behind the homes and found lots of cattle that were deceased and in various stages of decomposure. And this was during the winter. So I was brought in, I don't know why, um, but it was quite the experience because the officers handled all of it, which was wonderful. But the snow had covered up some of the bodies, so we were actually walking on top of deceased animals, and then we found two animals alive in the barn. And basically, because of mental illness, it was just handled with a slap on the wrist, and the one person in the family who was an individual that was reasonable and able to do anything uh, he just took care of the situation and no charges were filed. So it's sad to see things happen. In that point, that was so far gone, I don't think anything would have helped those animals. And then they were told they could just never have any animals. And it was not done through the courts. 
So that was pretty much the worst thing I had have seen. Oh, and then we have people with the cats. And then the, you go in the homes and you can't breathe and the people are living there and you're walking through the trails. And yeah, and those are not good situations either. But you have to have, first of all, the officers who are cooperative, and then you have to have the resources and means to take those animals and then care for them. I just had this conversation yesterday with with somebody, and I they want me to go in to an apartment in a, in a town here tomorrow. And um, they think there's like 12 kittens, 12 adult cats, and a one-bedroom apartment. They want me to get to, to get them out of there. My question back to them was, and they're in the cat world where they know all the rescue. Where are they going? Nowhere. There is nowhere right now. They are all just full. They're refusing. So I can go in and stomp my feet all I want and tell them this is not right. But there's no place I can take them. And we have no cattery here. We don't have cats here. So I can't even take them in here. So what do you do? So it's, I find, and it's, it's, I hate to say it because people don't like it when I say it. I find it's easier to work with them, get them supplies that they need, you know, find a place that I can, um, maybe um, an SPCA or New Start in our county. Do they have extra food, litter? Will they let the kittens go and we can work maybe two kittens here and into there and two kittens? Yeah. And they have found that that is actually better because keeping the pets in the home is more productive for everybody all the way around. The resources supplying them with that, getting them to cooperate. If you take their animals away, they are going to just go get another animal. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes. I, yeah, seizing does not stop the problem. It just delays it into another hoarding case with the same people. Correct. If you can educate them. So, for instance, where I'm going to be going tomorrow, there is a child involved. Ooh. So now we can get Department of Social Services involved if it's filthy, dirty, like they say everybody's claiming it is, which I haven't seen yet. And so now the agencies are coming in on a situation that needs to be addressed, and they will have to comply just pulling them out in cages and taking them to another rescue and filling them up even more. It's, they're just going to go out and find the stray cat down the street. And before I know it, they got another stray cat, another stray cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus also the trauma that's being caused on the animal, too, if you think about it in that perspective. I mean, a lot of dogs and cats, they're very resilient. They, they can bounce back from situations most of the time. I can't say every situation, of course. But um, still, taking them out of an environment they've known without sort of guiding and teaching them how they're supposed to keep themselves clean, where they're supposed to go to the bathroom, how they're supposed to be treated with the people they're already familiar with, and then put them into an animal shelter that can be traumatizing for them, then placed into a foster home or a new home. So, yeah, I can see it from that perspective, too, that if you could work with the animal owners to fix their current living environment and situation... That works better for everybody involved. The thing you have to remember is it demands attention. It demands change. And they have to fulfill it. And if there's no place to take the cats, they've got to, their, their responsibility. And you have to, you, they have to do something. So you have to be forceful. You have to be nice. But if you end up having to put your foot down, they have to do it. If they care about the animal, they have to do something. So it may be small steps, but it's got to be done. 
Don't you find, though, many times that people would rather do that if the, the right approach is used with yep. them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, they're, I, I hear this from people, too. A lot of times they just don't know that they're in over their heads, or they might know, and they don't know how to get out of it. So I think with the right approach of trying to help, it would yep. definitely go last, over, if possible. Yep. Last week I went on a call. The guy has eight cats in his house. He did, he's tried everything to get them into shelters. There's no place to go. Right. So right. the landlord called me and said, can you tell yep. me they've got to go? And I'm said, you got a magic wand to tell where they're going to go. I'll tell them. But there is no place. And she said, well, I don't think he's trying. Well, come. He had numbers, how many times he had called. Yeah. So he is trying. So you, you got to give it. And, he, they were, and they were fine. The cats were fine. She just right. did. Part of their lease was one cat. So I said, that, you know, right. that's between you and your renter and a court system, you'll, if that was in legally in writing. And so that brings up the point that sometimes the complainants exaggerate the situation to get a response, so you do go and check out the complaint, but as you say, it's it's borderline. If anybody reads the law, it's somewhat vague, so you have an opportunity to be reasonable with people, but the complainant may see the situation in a different way, and they become upset when the animals are not taken out of the situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if anyone here has heard about the almost 200 cats that were taken out of a home in Gates up yeah. in Rochester. Yeah. And Lollipop Farm went in there and assisted with that. And they had been getting complaints for the last three years, I believe, uh, maybe two years. And I know that when I worked at Lollipop two years ago, I, I did receive a complaint. The neighbors were calling everybody that they could. The response was, we will go check out the situation, but the man who owned the home would not let anyone in. Not anyone from the town, not anyone from Lollipop, not the dog control officer. Now, you have no legal right to enter his home unless you have proof that those animals were in danger. So it took a year before the town of Gates had served him a ticket for code enforcement. He never went to court for that. So somehow code enforcement finally got in there, found deceased animals, and then called the Humane Society. And they had on television the neighbor who had uh, some kind of fly trap out in their yard, and there was like three inches deep in there of flies that were buzzing around from this gentleman's home. Basically, he just stopped um, his garbage pickup. So mm-hmm. all of his trash was accumulating around the home. And then they would see cats hanging around and in the windows. And But he would never let anyone in. And when they finally did get in there, the situation became huge. Just, we just went through this over in the town, the village of Perry, with three dogs in an apartment. They're being fed. They're licensed. We can't do anything. And what was the complaint? He's not taking them out enough. They're going to the bathroom and inside the house. You know, we do. Uh, I have gotten a lot of complaints at that answering the phone about that. And there is nothing in the law that tells you as a homeowner, a dog owner, excuse me, that you have to provide a certain amount of time walking right. or taking care of an animal outside. Yes, that's huge. And there's nothing in the law. Nothing in the law. To, so, no. But they don't like. They don't want 
me to say that on the phone. They are mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. I've had calls where that dog's tied up. They go to work and they tie it up at six o'clock. They don't get home till five. There's no food and water. I get there. There's a nice clean bucket of water and there's feces in a pile. So you know he's being fed and he looks perfect. This is their lifestyle and he's got shelter when, when they're gone. I don't like dogs being chained up either, but the law doesn't say if those elements are provided for that dog. And it doesn't even say food, just water. You, as long as there's food involved in a 24-hour period. And they no, see- it, it does say food. It does okay. say food and water. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah, so it's like, okay. It does somewhere. Maybe not in this one. I don't know. I've done so much studying. We'd have to. That's why I always say go back to the law and read it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it it just goes back to your point, Justa, and to Patty's point that the society has kind of changed its viewpoint on how companion animals are to be treated or how to be looked upon or anything like that. But just because our viewpoint has changed in society, that doesn't mean that the laws have matched it. That's why you have many different, like, political debates and things like that, or or debates in regards to how we treat animals, that they're going to, those debates are going to rage on for a long time. It's when laws are implemented to match what society standards are. And in Wyoming County, or at least in New York State, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of these laws haven't been updated since the early 1900s in regards to... um in agri-markets, agri- companion animals, recognizing the difference. And that was actually one of my questions I was going to come to. Does the law recognize the difference between the companion animal, like the terminology of a companion animal? Yes. Versus anything else? Yes. Companion animal, they changed the definitions uh, quite a while ago. And a companion animal is any animal, a dog, cat, uh, or other animal that is raised near your home. However, it does not include farm animals. Mm-hmm. So we've had people with the goats and the chickens and that, mm-hmm. and it does not include that. Until there's case law, when something goes to court and then a decision made and it becomes a case in law that you could refer to, mm-hmm. that's a situation I, I, I don't know where it has occurred that another animal is considered a companion animal other than a cat or a dog. But starving any animal, period. Oh, against yeah. Yeah. You know, things like that. It does say food, though, in Section 353. Okay. It does food. say food and water. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but as you pointed out for that particular case, there's evidence of food, even if there wasn't food in the dish right. there's, there's, with yeah. the fresh stool that's around. Yeah, there's like two bowls. One's empty, one's got water. So you know, well, I take him out, I put food out there. And you can see he's being fed. There's feces everywhere. And the dog is, is fine. Mm-hmm. They. I often have to say you got to clean that area up. I mean, you can't ask that dog to lay up and look at that all day long. Yeah. A dog is, when you talk about companion animal in most people's minds, it's living in the home with you. And because our society has changed, we treat them more like our children mm-hmm. than an animal, which creates behavioral issues also. Time. Yeah. I've gone to doors and knocked, are you here to take my dog? And I'm like... No, I, I'm just here because we had a complaint. And she will grab a three-year-old by the collar, take him. Oh, She wants the dog to be left. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, she's not serious. She's serious. You're not taking my pet, but you can take my head. So, I mean, I'm that, I know that sounds crazy, but that's how much they are loved. 
correct. Yeah. And um, they'll get lawyers if their dog is bitten somebody, beat, bit the pizza man. They got a, a good lawyer when you go in for a dangerous dog complaint. They go all out because they love that dog. And they don't realize that that dog is their complete responsibility. And they see that dog as a human and not an animal. So they have not progressively in their brain taken on the steps to be the alpha to that dog. So oftentimes the biting dog is just because they have allowed it to be that rude dog with no control and it got out of control enough that it nailed somebody and now they just can't comprehend how we would think that's dangerous. <laughs> so it's like, wow, okay, when we open the door, your dog needs to be under control. And, you know. Oh, but it's protecting me. That's right. <laughs> A lot of times in dangerous dog complaints, that's all it is. I've had cases, I probably don't want to get into dangerous dog. We're, we definitely are going to be getting okay, into hold dangerous off dog. Okay. And, well, to jump off of that point, when yeah. you said the word protecting, that, that just ring a bell in my head. Isn't that, from my understanding, those signs that you could get a tractor supply to say, beware of dog, stuff like that. Even if your dog, you wouldn't consider dangerous, but you put those signs up to kind of ward people away, like, don't don't come knocking on my door type thing. That is kind of an omission that you have, and some or an admission. Or I'm sorry, what's the right terminology? Yeah, you're admitting, admitting that you have a dangerous dog. Is that so? I I'll jump on that. In court cases before, I've said to the dog owner when we're going back and forth with the judge, "Do you consider your dog a dangerous dog?" And the oh no no, but I took the picture of this big sign. Mm-hmm. I have an aggressive dog right on your porch. So I'll say, Your Honor, I have a photo of his porch with that stating that. So then the judge will see it and he'll say, so you don't consider your dog aggressive, but you've got a sign. Well, he's temperamental. And then it unwinds. You know, well, sometimes he guards the house and, uh, you know, and then the judge is like, okay, you know, he just, the dog was just out of control and got a hold of somebody. But we, I have used that as proof that the mm-hmm. owner is publicly, publicly admitting without a case even being done, that he's got a dog that could be aggressive. And some people just don't want you on their property, and Mm -hmm. they just want to scare you. But anyone has the right to drive up into your driveway, go up your sidewalk, and knock on your door. Mm -hmm. It's a place where anybody is legally to be. So in my training with Daryl, who's only been working now for four years, I'm still training. I I probably will never stop, you know, making sure that we're appropriate when we go out. We only go to the driveway. If we think there's an abuse case, mm-hmm. we do not enter on some... If we can see the animal from the road where we are allowed to be, or in the driveway where we're allowed to be, but if, when you start going around people's homes and stuff, I have never, ever uh, done that. Right. I never will do that. I would not want people stalking around my house looking either. Mm-hmm. So... Um, we have to be respectful as officers when we go out that mm-hmm. this is private property. And we are, even though we're trying to unravel a complaint that does not give us any allowance to trespass in any way. And if we can't get them, we put a note on the door and we hope they they will call us. You know, within we, I always po- post when we went, put it where they're going. You know, it's their in and out door. You have to kind of look sometimes to see which door is the, the door people use most of the time because some homes are set up funny. And I put the actual time I posted it on the door and asked them within 24 hours. Now, if I don't hear from them, then 
I call it stalking, but then we start trying to figure out when do they come home? When do they leave for work? Well, you know, what time do the kids get home? So maybe they can tell me when dad's going to get home. You know, so then you start trying to maneuver to, to be able to say we got a, we got a problem. All in a legal way. All in course. a legal way and a respectful way. Mm-hmm. I mean, cannot, because there, I do know dog, a couple dog control officers in another area who will go right into a barn. I would never do it. I never know. They have no authority to no, do that. No, we do not. We do not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patty was touching upon the what the the what's allowed for a dog control officer to do and what they're permitted to do, because there are civil laws we still have to abide by, and they don't have just untampered or un um they don't just have power to do anything they want. That's why a police officer usually gets involved when it comes to certain situations. Um but yeah, that's I've had landlords say, I'll open the door, just go in. No way. Yeah. No way. I'm not doing it. Law enforcement's there, and they open the door, and they're present, and they say, take the dog, it's on me, and they record it in, a, in their report. I'll receive the dog because the dog was was taken by the police officer out of the apartment building. Other than that, mm-hmm. um, no way. That's a very good point, actually, you bring up there, because uh, someone would say, well, I'm the landlord. I own the home, so I'm giving you permission to go on there. But you're not the one who's living in the home. How how do you explain that to someone who, like a landlord, who calls in saying, "I want you to move this dog from my my tenant's property"? When someone, I this is what I say: when someone's renting your property, that is their home and their private residence, even though you own it, because you are in contract with them that that is their home. You just can't go in, and you can't expect law enforcement to just go in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to. I'm not risking my job. Or the reputation of being that kind of person to go in. Now, if she calls law enforcement and law enforcement thinks there's some kind of danger for the animal, there's been three days left with no food or water, and there's evidence that nobody has come, which I say you need to put some kind of tape band on the door so you know it's broken. Almost almost 95% of the calls that I get like that, hey, he left on Friday, it's Tuesday, and he hasn't come home. I've put a note on the door, and I find out an ex-girlfriend, a mother, a neighbor is going in and out. Nobody's seeing it, and the dogs are just fine. Now, if they're pooping and peeing in the house, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. That's what they'll say. You can't, you can't tell me that's right. And I say, well, it must be he's going to clean it up when he gets home because it's not against the law for him to go potty on a potty bed in there or the old carpet you provided for him. I mean, I don't know what to say, but yeah. And that brings up, it's part of the cruelty law where animals have to be taken care of minimally 24 hours, even though that's not mentioned in the law. For impounded animals, they give you 12 consecutive hours. So usually the officer... Yeah, we'll go and tape the door themselves, a humane officer, to see if anybody has entered within the last, they're going by the 24 hours, and they will post the notice. And as you say, nine times out of 10, you will get someone to respond. Yeah. Oh, I'm coming in, I, but I don't get out till 11, so probably people aren't seeing me. Or I'm the neighbor, and I walk over from one door to the next, mm-hmm. they're not seeing them. And, yes. Yeah. And for those that the, they are abandoned, which means they're left behind by the individual, then you have to have that evidence that it's not cared for, mm-hmm. and then they, it, the animal could be seized by an officer, yeah. not a dog control officer. No. The dog control officer goes in response 
to the officer saying, we have to take this dog. Yeah, and I say to all dog control officers out there, get a copy of the report and hook it with your paperwork. So you can say, I was with officer blah, blah, blah from that town or the county, and he had me come and I received the animal from him, not from your your dwelling. Correct. Yeah, you have proof of that. You don't assume that they're going to know that. You want to make sure you've done everything you can to secure yourself and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What's considered under the law um, abandonment? If someone leaves and what's the time period, the consecutive hours? like? Well, there's a few different definitions of abandonment in the law. You have a totally separate section, 25B, which is when an animal is left in someone's care, such as a boarding facility or a veterinarian or with an individual that I have a contract or it's stipulated that I'm going to leave the animal with you for a specific amount of time. That time expires. The owner does not come to retrieve the animal. Then a letter, a registered letter, has to be sent to the last known address, letting the owner know that they must come and get their dog. And there's a time frame for that. And if they don't respond, then the animal could be given to the SPCA, Humane Society. And then you'd have to send a letter to the owner again stating that the animal was transferred to the Humane Society or ASPCA. And, of course, I have it in my notes, but I can't find it right away. The other abandoned animal is uh, Section 355 of Article 26, where people just leave an animal to die in a street, road, or public place. Hmm. Now, if the animal is disabled and you know the owner, say an animal was hit by a car, you get a hold of the owner, they have three hours to go and get their animal. There's actually a time frame in that, which doesn't make much sense. You would think that they would, yeah, that would be an immediate thing, immediate response. But if you're already there as an officer, you're going to you're gonna be taking care of that animal for the sure. owner anyway. Mm-hmm. You're going to notify them. Correct. I've taken it to the vet. Yes. Mm-hmm. So anybody who just leaves an animal someplace. So the question becomes, is abandonment when you find a box of puppies at your door? So I've been told that the animals are actually put in a place where they would receive care. I mean, pet stores have also gotten animals dumped there. Mm-hmm. Now, it's one thing to say they you found it while you were open for hours and, you know, the, the animals were only there for a minimal amount of time. But there's a lot of animal shelters who will have the camera and say, you cannot dump an animal because you will you mm-hmm. will be prosecuted we to have the full yeah. extent of the law. Correct. So basically, people need to be aware that you can't just leave animals on the road at places and think somebody's going to take care of that situation for you. So that's where the cooperation comes in, where you speak to people, hang on to that animal till I can get it in. Let's work together. I know you have a situation. The other thing is uh, they'll dump it. If you don't take it, they'll dump it somewhere. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything about that dog then as it comes in as a stray. And you have to hold that animal for five days or seven. Mm -hmm. In your case, you hold for seven days before you can put it up for adoption, which stresses the dog out completely because you can't start the process of getting that animal ready to be adopted. Mm -hmm. So if an owner would like to turn an animal in, they need to make arrangements and do that the right way and provide all of the information on that animal 
to enhance the ability for the animal to be adopted. So I have a question. Do are some shelters just don't take surrenders though? Uh, the last that municipal shelter that I did a consultation on mm -hmm. did does not take surrenders from from owners. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm sure they're picking up stray dogs. Mm -hmm. There was one that came in while I was at my, the consult, and it was an eight week old puppy. And you know for a fact nobody just decided to dump that puppy. They probably thought they had to because it wouldn't have been taken. And why they didn't couldn't find it a home, I, I don't know. But the puppy cried and cried, so you know he had just been separated from mm -hmm. his best buds. And, yeah. So those are decisions that a municipality has to make and decide how they're going to handle things. But if you have a good reputation working with individuals, that goes a long way. It does. It does. Animal shelters used to be open, uh, open intakes. COVID was nice, changed all of that because people had to make appointments to come in. And those are highly encouraged that you make an appointment and then spend time with the individual, show how much you're willing to do for their animal and have that relationship yeah. built so that it's good for everybody, especially the animal. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you don't want these animals in the shelters long-term. No, it's not, it's not good for not them. Not good. Mm -hmm. no. you always, there are some that do well for a longer period of time than others. You can just see the change in the dog the longer they're here. Correct. You could, they're, they're, everything about that dog is just not setting well. We've had a few cases, and hounds happen to be one of the dogs that confinement for a long period of time starts to change the way they communicate with human beings because there's there's an anxiety and a energy that they you know that they need more time mm -hmm. messing around outside with and you know then there's some dogs that do very well and actually flourish if they've not had good care mm -hmm. and they're coming in here now they're fed twice or three times a day they're played with exercised have medical care some it's like the Hilton here for some, and then for others, it's, it's really jail. <laughs> some animals do better in the shelter situation because they have a schedule. Yeah. They get fed, they get walked, they get cleaned, and they actually do better to a certain point, and then they need a little bit more enrichment, which yeah. you provide here beautifully. Yeah. It's very well done. Yeah. 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 You guys work over time to make sure that yeah, these yeah. dogs are. I've come down the middle of the night last night because I thought that pen was too small for that one dog. But it wasn't. But I got <laughs> in my head it was. So no. might as well just get it over and come down because Do I'm not going to. a good gonna... job. <laughs> I, I think I had a Hilton resident. I think she was happy here, too. She was happy. She didn't she have was. anything any better. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. no. Yep. Yeah. No, and I spent the night when the puppies Yep. You know, I, I, and I have cameras out there uh, in the shelter that I can pull up on my phone. So at two o'clock in the morning, when I get up to use the restroom, I'm going, okay, how's it going down there? <laughs> That's when I see she was really preoccupied with her belly, um, the pit bull. And that's why I thought, I'm, I'm never going to sleep. So I came down and by the time I got here, we were on puppy three. 
being born. So I was able to be right here. So, but, and, and the baby, the new ones that just came in, I can see them. So I can see how often they've gone potty. I'm like, ah, oh, they're standing in that, you know, or they're walking through their poop. I'm getting going down. And then I have one on the other side so I can see. So and I put those high risk dogs in those pens. I can see. Um, I would like a few more cameras out there, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, animal control is a 24 hours a day, seven days a week yeah. type job. And it, we're very blessed in Wildman County to have the facility that we have and the uh, animal control officers that we have that take care of these dogs and have that accessibility. Yeah. You know. Well, if you're going to go into this work and you think it's a nine to five job, you might as well go to Walmart and work because there is no way it's ever going to be that. Nope. Ever, ever, and you get ever. calls at home, don't you? Or all the time. Yes. I I say all the time. If I decide it's going to be in one of those early nights, I'm going to put my PJs on at eight eight fifteen. <laughs> I'm now undressed twenty minutes and the phone rings. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like don't undress till you're ready. Mm-hmm. Go to bed. The house could be quiet all day. As soon as she walks through the door, all of a sudden the phone's ringing. I'm like, oh my gosh, gotta go. They know you're home. (laughs) (laughs) Or if I put something in the oven, that's always, yeah. Come on, can I just bake that cake without the word? (laughs) Yeah, so um, we touched upon that. I think one of the other topics that was, that's kind of hot at the moment, because I know a lot of our members have been asking questions about it, and I'd like to touch upon it at least a little bit, is in regards to puppy mills. We had our governor last December pass the Puppy Mill Pipeline Act that is supposed to um, basically tell storefronts, and um, I hope I'm going to get this wording right, supposed to tell stores, pet stores, Petco, places like that, that you can't take in puppies or kittens or any companion animal that is from a breeder situation. Is that correct? I don't think they can take it from anyone. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, I have three kittens I need to place, can you do that for me? Uh, the law says that they can only have a space to showcase animals from humane societies, SPCAs, or rescue groups. Okay. So basically that is shutting down anybody who's breeding. used to be that the pet dealer law in New York State allowed them to sell dogs, puppies. Mm-hmm. And that is now mm-hmm. no longer. So people that don't have a knowledge about how puppy mills actually are and what the operations are, why is a bill like this important in cutting through the the pipeline, so to speak? So you know yourself, I'm sure, USDA regulates the so-called puppy mills, and they are all over the United States. So pet stores were getting ordering certain breeds of dogs through a company called Hunt. When I did my inspections with New York State, that seemed to be the company. And they could come from, oh, they came from breeders. So you'd have information of the breeder, all the vaccinations, and everything that was done. But basically, they came from factory puppy mill facilities where USDA does regulate them, but it's minimum standards of care. So everything was regulated, including their transport to New York State, and then put in the in the pet stores. From my uh, old co-workers, I, I heard New York City was pretty much the big place where the pet stores had uh, 
the big business of all of these puppies coming in. Mm-hmm. I used to inspect one up in Buffalo. I had a couple in Rochester that I inspected. Now, I must tell you that when I started working for New York State, I was totally against dogs being sold in pet stores. But with the pet dealer law that was part of my enforcement uh, in my inspections, they had to take care of these animals because they're in the public eye. They're regulated by USDA from where they come from. They're regulated in the transport. They're regulated when they were at the pet store. I, I really appreciated the way they cared for the animals. However, on the consumer side, what it is is these dogs are now, oh, wow, I want a puppy. I'm going to buy a puppy. And it's not thinking of maybe I you know, shouldn't get a puppy or they don't know the origin of, yes, they have all the paperwork that says it came from a breeder, mm-hmm. but these minimal standards of care are dogs that are penned, They never see grass, maybe. They have limited contact with humans. And it's not a situation where you would particularly like your puppy to come from. So that's the bottom line. And it's better to get a rescue animal than it is to get a puppy mill because you don't know, like I say, the origin. So they want to showcase the rescue animals in the the pet stores. If you want a purebred dog, New York State has their pet dealer law. They're licensed with New York State. So they have to, again, meet minimal standards of care, and they're regulated so you can find a breeder in New York. And if they're not licensed with New York State, for because uh, the pet dealer law is difficult in that if they breed less than 24, 25 dogs on their own property, they do not have to be licensed. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Pet dealer license. Pet dealer about. license. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Right. So basically, I uh, inspected a woman where she would have the Amish, so-called, you know, puppy milk kind of situation. They would be the breeders. She would acquire the puppies from them. And so she, I called her like the puppy, the, the stork, the, the, yeah. Yeah. So basically, she's a pet store without a storefront. She does it in her home. Yeah. And she makes the dogs all pretty and does all kinds of uh, marketing for them. And the people are reassured that the puppy was well cared for through the whole procedure. She upped the game by making the breeder have better facilities than are required. Mm. So in her situation, she took pictures of the parents the way they were whelped, how they were cared for, and she had information on those dogs the whole way through. And she was very successful in that, and I think she's still in business. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to get dogs and puppies without walking into the pet store and, oh, I'm going to pay $1,500 for that dog, and then you have issues because it came from some breeder in Missouri who didn't have better standards of care. Yeah. And yeah. you said the USDA regulates yes. them. So when it comes to how they regulate, wherever these puppy mills are actually from, they still have to abide by their local legislation, their local 
municipalities or things of that nature? I I would have to research by state. You'd have mm-hmm. to do that. Like I know Mississippi. Uh, is it Mississippi? No, I think it was Missouri. Even though they had a lot of puppy mills there, they also had like their blue ribbon kennel program. So you could rate the kennels could be rated for better care. Like, do they provide music in the situ in the situation? And um, mm-hmm. do they do better vaccinations or you know things like that? Because I did research that at one time. Because I think not only related to puppy mills, but it just laws and places in general. Wyoming County's laws might be different than Genesee County's, might be different than Cattaraugus County's. Each place regulates their animal control or their, um, uh, what's the, what is that, does that usually fall under? Well, right there? you're talking about the... Just in general, the laws are different everywhere you go. The zoning as far zoning. as how to yes. keep them. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. That if you want better care of the animals that are beyond the minimal standards of care and go towards best standards, then yes, each municipality can have their own regulations and laws. So I get a lot of people who come in and say, I, I would like to buy a dog from a breeder. And I have no problem with a good breeder. I don't either. If they, So I say to them, okay, you're the consumer. So if you're going to buy a refrigerator and you're trying to figure out the best refrigerator to buy for your home, and you already figured out you want a stainless steel one. So you already know you want a German Shepherd. So I kind of correlate it like that. So then you start looking at the guarantees, um, you know, you can go on and see a ton of information, what's the do's and don'ts with that machine, have it repaired, all that. So then do that with a breeder. Find out what county they're in, what town they're in. Find out if there's been any complaints about them. Um, are they mandated by some of the laws that we have here in New York? Are the USDA looked at? Um and you can tell right off the bat with a breeder if they say, well, I have their eyes examined, their hips are checked. They can tell you all about some of the diseases they look for. So they're, do your do your homework. If you're going to spend that kind of money, you're going to have a dog, hopefully, for 17 years in your home or more. Look what we did when we uh, we got William. I mean, we we spent a ton of time chatting, and two litters went by before we decided that she was where we wanted to go get that dog from. I I the only way we're going to keep purebred dogs is that we have good programs for purebred dogs. So I have I never have had a problem with someone purchasing a dog, but make sure you know where you're getting them from. You know, if you want mm-hmm. a specific breed, there. And People you, like us, yeah. we are Springer Spaniel lovers. I love all dogs, but when I go to bed at night, I like my Spaniels with me. So I will always have a Spaniel. I will probably be buried with a few of my Spaniel ashes. But that doesn't mean I'm, I don't like all dogs. But we did a ton of research before we went and got him. And we drove down and met her and saw where they lived. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do your work, you know. Yeah. Don't meet somebody in the Walmart parking lot at 11 o'clock. You know, I mean, but then then you get people calling, I can't keep the dog. I mean, if you, if you want to take the risk and do what you do, I have no problems with someone doing that. But don't call up, up here and say, we want to put a complaint in with so-and-so. Like, gosh, it's, you know, when I buy a tomato at a stand, I look at the tomato. I want to know what's going on with it before I put the quarters in the little box. Okay. So do the same thing when you're buying a pet or you're getting a pet. You know, I mean, the Craigslist dogs, mm. oftentimes there's a reason why they're, they're getting rid of them. Right. You know, they really are. And why haven't that per- hasn't that person tried a shelter around them? Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of dogs that are available for adoption through rescues and SPCAs are, I shouldn't say a lot of dogs, some of them have come from outside of New York State. There are some states that have very good programs for regulating the breeding of dogs. New York, one of them, is one of them. So puppies are hard to find, and, and dogs breeds other than pit bulls and pit bull mixes are hard to find. So they will have rescue animals come from other states. And there's nothing wrong with that. New York people are fantastic pet owners. They are. They are. And very responsible. Yeah. And the spaying and neutering and the fact that New York State has offered discounts for spaying and neutering for animals. And now with the new law, everything is that starts in December of 2025, everything is going to have to be spayed or neutered before it leaves a shelter. It's mandatory. Mandatory. Yes. So the county, if I didn't have animal friends, the county would have to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you... By law, can you then charge the person for the spay and neutering? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. So then... You're... That would be your adoption fees. Wow. Yeah. You're going to see some struggles. Should yeah. Should felt struggling. It's going to be difficult with the new law, but if you look at all of the amount of money that is being invested in an animal that you're adopting, mm-hmm. there's the way the shelters work, you get donor base funding and... That helps subsidize what the person is getting for an animal. Mm-hmm. So if they had to pay $500 going to the veterinarian, now they may be paying $250 for an adoption mm-hmm. and getting the same yeah, the same quality care f- for their animal with vaccines you, and spay and neutering. Most and, veterinarians will work with the shelters and get that number down so it's not what it costs the public to walk through the door? Well, That's hard to determine because uh, that... That offices always increase their prices every year, depending on how much things cost for them to get. They do. And what about services? the age? That's another thing that comes to mind. I mean, having multiple myself, my vet has recommended that, especially for some breeds, that they don't get fixed for a few months, you know, eight, nine months. What does that do for, yeah, for shelters? For the large breed dogs, they're finding the yeah. neutered young, uh, that uh, oftentimes arthritis is part of the hormone Urinary issues. But I've also talked to veterinarians that have even some of the work in the same practice that would say that one would say, okay, let's let the male dog that's a larger breed wait till he's closer to a year of age. Then some to say there's no reason they can't be neutered at six months of age. So I, I kind of feel like it depends on professional discretion that what is now putting that into law, the law, you can't be... Maybe I'm wrong, but you can't be so vague when it comes to something like that. You need a cutoff point at some point. Be like, if they need to be yeah, so six surgically altered. Well, I just Seems. went to the Maddie's Shelter Conference, and that was brought up. And there's no evidence or data that supports that you have to wait mm-hmm. for a specific age to get an animal spayed or neutered. They do it by weight. As long as the animal can undergo surgery by weight, which I believe was... Three pounds, four pounds. Oh my, wow. Yes. So they've been doing pediatric surgeries for quite a while. Interesting. Well, yes. you think the new law then will not allow, like these, say these puppies that have been born here, mm-hmm. they're going to have to be spayed and neutered before they I can adopt them out as well, babies? The, so then to get around that, the suggestion is made that you foster to adopt so that you make a contract 
that they're actually the foster home, and then there's going to be, uh, there is in the law how to have foster homes. And then once the puppy is ready to be spayed or neutered, all of that is done, and then the adoption is is made. So basically, they're making it, I feel like, more difficult for shelters. Well, you're talking about shelter and rescue animals. We're not talking about personally owned animals. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to go out and you're going to get a Bernese Mountain Dog and your veterinarian says you have to wait till it's nine months of age, Mm -hmm. that's a whole different subject. Right. Or if there are Bernese Mountain Dogs born here. Well, then they need to, um, yeah, you foster foster to adopt. Hmm. And which foster we've never done foster program here, so that'll be a whole new yes, one. and that's going to be difficult for municipalities mm-hmm. because foster homes are the responsibility of the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, well, that's one reason I never why. let my arm reach out that door when they leave. That dog is their dog, mm-hmm. even they are licensed them. Yes. It, Right. Ten weeks old, eight weeks old. Yeah. There's also the liability too from right. a dog that's not in your controlled environment, but it's not owned by the other person. It's still owned by the municipality. That's why foster programs are they can be a little touchy depending on the organization you work for, the municipality. So we actually have to go into like a legal contract with them. Well, either that or refuse to do fosters, and which means you'd transfer that animal to another organization that would provide the fostering. So, for instance, Genesee County uses the volunteers for animals, and they have kittens come in, and they're not ready yet to be adopted. They go into a foster home. Those foster homes are all covered under the Volunteers for Animals organization. So it would be their responsibility. It's their responsibility for anything that happens to that animal while it's in the foster home, mm-hmm. not Genesee County. And they- When is this going to start? Oh, 2025, December wow. of 2025. Well, part of the, I think part of the intent of the law is to decrease the length of stay mm-hmm. for any of these animals. And the foster home is the route to go if you have to hold an animal for any length of time. Maybe it's a medical situation or needs, you know, behavior adjustment, mm-hmm. or it's an animal that's just going to be hard to place. Because part of the law is also that after you've had that animal for 14 days, you have to provide twice as much space for it mm-hmm. as it was required. So Holy your smart. capacity yeah. for care is going to decrease at a time when the need for Unwanted, surrendered animals has been an increase. Well, and foster cares are at a de- at a decrease. I I follow pages online. They talk. They're full, like you said earlier. And cats especially are just they just breed. They drop them off. They're be- and dogs surrendered. People I think got them during COVID. We brought up a few times, but um, I think that's asking a lot. Well, I think that as the evidence has shown as an inspector, that the numbers of dogs in shelters has decreased over the years. That is true. Tremendously. Because your your laws, your running at large laws and the enforcement and people are more responsible. They don't they have their dogs running around. It just doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. So that is why they're bringing dogs in from rescue groups from other states. So I don't think it's having an animal... Um, that that you don't have room for an animal. I think the animals that are coming in are unadoptable in some cases. 
and euthanasia was not popular. So some of these shelters only have these animals and they're full because they refuse to assess the animal. Actually, is this a better place that this animal is here or due to behavior issues, should maybe euthanasia be an option? So you have those no-kill shelters, which have been popular. So I disagree with the fact that you need more shelters or you need more space. I agree with the way that the law is showing you have to change your ideas. And Sam said it when shelters is not where you want your animal to be. It's not the best place for them. In some ways, yes, animals do better, but it's only for a short amount of time. And then the new law is going to require that anything that is there for that length of time has to have 20 minutes every day in enrichment. They have to, you're going to have to have a behaviorist on staff. You're going to have to have people playing with cats and dogs and making them adoptable so that their length of stay is shorter. So you have to make them adoptable. And in the Maddie Shelter Conference, I was very surprised. We had a couple of speakers, and they were not from New York State, but they did say that behavior is an issue that needs to be assessed and addressed and euthanasia the option because too many dogs are aggressive. The aggressive dogs are what is coming in the shelters. That is true. That is so true. It's an unfortunate thing because no one wants to say they have to put a dog down for an aggressive behavior. But then you also have to look at it in a different perspective. You can't adopt a dog out that you know is aggressive, that can harm a child, can harm an elderly parent, a grandparent, an adult, and be a danger to society. And not always can you train that out of dogs. So that's... It's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but there's a reason why there's that's still acceptable to do under, you know, ethical standards, of course, of a veterinarian and things like that. Correct. But, yeah. It's hard. It's hard to that. Whenever I hear someone say, oh, I got this from a no kill shelter. I'm always thinking in my head. What are how are they operating as a no kill shelter? What does that mean? Euthanasia is completely off the table because we have court ordered cases. We're going to talk about dangerous dogs in a moment, too. That you have to, even if the dog you would not say is a dangerous, but because of an incident that happened, whether it's in the dog's control, the owner's control, or out of anyone else's control, that dog has to be put down. Mm -hmm. So I I always, like a little red flag always comes up in my head whenever I hear no-kill shelter, because I'm just curious, how would they operate in that way? Correct. And and to be honest, there really is... No, no kill. I mean, mm-hmm. some animals just have to be euthanized for sometimes, sometimes just reasons. extreme reasons. Yes. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. just health reasons yes. are suffering. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You can yes. know they are. So. Yeah, that gets that comes that also boils down to the if you want to get to the more philosophical part of like euthanizing a dog, the morality of is we as humans are supposed to take care of these animals and sometimes doing what's in the best interest of the animal results in the euthanasia. Correct. Yeah. And it's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 So to, before we jump onto the, um, the dangerous dog topic, because I definitely do want to talk about that, but we're already talking about this new law that's coming up in 2025. What else is 
part of this law? What else do we as the public or as animal control need to be aware of? Well, it's going to include rescues. So basically, it is better standards of care. So when I started uh, working for New York State, we tried to submit suggestions on how to give better standards of care to animals in shelters. Because as inspectors and also coming from the shelter environment and then getting out there and seeing that some dog control officers or shelters were uh, a dirt you know, penned in yard with a dog house, and that was still acceptable. So finally, after all these years, they have better standards, and it includes everything. It talks about the building itself. It talks about veterinary care, which is definitely um, increased the requirements for that. Um, I have my book right here. I could tell you all the all the categories behavior it's going to be better enclosures for the animals so there's actually measurements of the enclosures for cats not for dogs but we're trying to be reasonable when it comes to the dogs and everything is based on in this law is based on the animal shelter veterinary guidelines that were published in 2010 so if anybody wants to know what is going to be part of the law well you can find the law on uh, on New York State's website, and you can also look up the ASV guidelines. So it's management, record keeping, how to manage the population, how to sanitize, the medical health and well-being, behavioral health and well-being, how to group house animals, how to handle animals. Fear free. Every animal shelter needs their staff, including volunteers, to take the fear free animal handling. And it's uh, on. It's online. Anybody can go online and take that. There's also provisions on euthanasia, spaying and neutering, animal transport. So these animals that are coming from outside of New York State, or if you're transporting animals to another facility, there's going to be better requirements for that. So... What is that? Fear-free? Fear-free. Fear yeah, just fear-free. Fear-free, what is it? Animal, like just just Google fear-free animal it's, it's, sheltering. It's how they handle animals. Perivet Clinic is considered fear-free now with a number of their staff. Does that apply to rescue groups as well? Yes, that... I know go out of state, bring up from like Texas yeah. is a hotbed for a test oh, or is quiz it? or of yeah rescues. Okay, um, that bring up some of the southern states. Yeah, that applies to them if they're coming into New York. If they're coming into New York, they're going to have to require that rescue to transport their animals under certain conditions. Yes. So this is a fear-free animal handling class. Handling class. Yeah, you can do it online. Mm-hmm. And you can start taking it now, even though it won't be required. Oh, everybody should take that. It's not part of the law, but everything okay. that we've, I should say, too, that I was, I'm was i a consultant for this new law, so we're getting into shelters to assess them and then give them suggestions on how to come in compliance. Mm -hmm. And in all of our suggestions, fear-free fear -free class is what you need to take. Because mm. that will help satisfy certain parts of the law mm -hmm. already. So yes. I do have a question about the spay and neutering. Yes. Just so I get it in my head right. 
in the new law, any dog leaving here will have to be neutered. It doesn't matter the age at that point. Even these puppies, we'd have to. Neuter. I'd have to look it up, but I don't. I don't know. I'd have to read. Okay. Read it directly, and then anything. The, so there would be no thirty-five dollar deposit anymore. No. No, that will be that will be gone. Yes, and then they would have to have a tattoo. So there's going to be some type of tattoo. Yeah, next so to young. the surgical site, something that indicates that it's. That so, the surgery's been done. To jump off of that, will vet clinics in a New York State be required to tattoo a shelter dog if they do it? So they would have to yes. comply we'll have to, with that as part of the law. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. Is there any increased funding for shelters for any of this? The only funding that is available is the shelter, companion animal shelter grant that they do want to have funding available for the last five years, and we're pretty sure we're going to get it next year. And you can apply for anything. Um, they've opened it up to veterinary materials, and, I mean, we've had people look for x-ray machines and equipment. And, mm. yeah, the big one is the, uh, changing your your airflow because the the HVAC is important. Because if you don't have the, the right uh, airflow, then you're going to have disease. So we need to... And that we're getting done. Yep. I mean, the cost of vet care alone is, especially now that every animal would have to be required to get mm -hmm. um, the span neutering done. Sandy or Cassandra here, she could even attest to um, how much Animal Friends has to pay. And by the way, Animal Friends, anyone who's wondering, we don't have any grants. We don't apply for any grants or get any... Help, um, help in that regard. All of our donations for our spare stray program and even this child project that you're listening to right now, that's 100% through community funding, through community grants. You put on fundraisers, uh, not grants, I'm sorry, community donations. We put on fundraisers and things like that. But Sandy, what would you say roughly every month is the, the vet bills to come in through? Over a thousand, mm -hmm. close to two sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's what, how many roughly dogs would you say go through a month? In a month? Six to eight at least, mm -hmm. I would say. So six to eight dogs, roughly at least a thousand to fifteen hundred minimum. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to start adding up for this every is dog. A smaller shelter in a smaller area. I mean, mm -hmm. keep some of the bigger ones. I mean, with a large volume. And I'd like to say Animal Friends does pride itself on any dog that does come through yeah. here. We make sure it gets its medical attention and needs done that we can do as Animal Friends that the county does not have to do. But with this new law coming in, that's something that whether Animal Friends is here or not, that has to be done. So we're kind of like a blessing in disguise. In the and future. it's right. <laughs> yes. A lot of shelters don't have that. No, no. They don't. right luxury. No, I know we're fortunate. Help. Yeah, and you guys may be able to even apply for a grant through New York State as a five hundred one c three, and that you're already involved in this shelter. We have all the documentation. I think that might be worth looking into. I don't think, as far as neutering everything that's is here, is going to make a huge impact. Like those eleven puppies out there, will be eleven more that you neuter. And I'm sure the neutering is not going to be as expensive, I wouldn't think, for the puppies as it would be for an adult. Well, I would you know, also wonder if, if I may, like, willfully speak here, I would awful, um, openly speak, I should say, I will often wonder if this um, law that's going to be implemented and shelters have to comply with it and they have to be hooked up to a veterinary office, I wonder if veterinary facilities are allowed to apply for things 
to help offset the cost are known. Not at this just- time. Mm. Not at this time. So New York State has the Animal Protection Federation, which is their not-for-profit agency that is the advocate for changing the laws in New York State. So there's a couple new laws that came through besides the, the puppy pipeline that they were instrumental in. And they are the organization that also did this new law, which is called Article 26C, mm. Care of Animals and Shelters. I think it's that the name of it. So um, you can yep go online and find that. And they have the grants available. So they would be the ones that you could consult and ask, you know, is it possible? Have you thought about doing this grant and that grant? Now, they you can belong to their organization. So you, there's a fee, I think it's $500 for a municipality or humane society or whatever to join up. And then they will offer you, that's how we do our consultation mm-hmm. services in that. And um, they have other things, resources that they make available. So one is a grant writer. So if you belong to, to the federation, they provide you with a grant writer. Mm-hmm. So they have, those would be questions that would send to uh, Libby Post. She's the director of the of the agency. So um, she would be the one to call and ask, and all of her information is online. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's definitely something that we here internally are definitely going to be researching on our own, both as animal friends and as Wilma County Animal Shelter and staff. Um, are there any other questions in regards to this new law before we continue on to the next phase of the podcast? Yeah, I'm just trying to find that spay and neuter information, but I can't. The law is like 24 pages, so mm. I can't find it readily. We can look <laughs> at the law, though, right? Mm-hmm. You, we yeah. have the information to look that law up? Okay, mm-hmm. we'll look at yeah. But it does bring up a good point is that the veterinarians, you're going to have to work closely with a veterinarian. As a veterinary technician, everybody thinks a veterinary technician can just do whatever. They cannot. They have to work under the supervision of a veterinarian. So every shelter should already have some type of veterinary oversight. Now this requires a lot of written procedures, this new law, and one is going to be uh, on veterinary care. And that would be you have a certain time frame that you have to examine that animal. They want you to vaccinate upon entry into the shelter. It's not waiting to see if somebody gets their dog. So it's the veterinary care is is stepping it up, all with the idea to decrease disease. That's in the law? It's in the law, yes. So veterinarians, I think we were trying to talk about this before. There's a lack of veterinarians. There's a lack of time the veterinarians are able to spend with just routine animal care. You will see that they have different types of things coming in the door that are more complex. So animal um, SPCAs and humane societies that have vets on site are very busy, and they're doing a lot of that routine uh, work because where else are people going to go? Or people are just not getting it done. Well, with this new law, too, if if we have to legally by New York State as an animal shelter hold them for five days before we're allowed to do anything, that cuts the time frame even down if they're only supposed to be here for 14 days before they go into a, a foster type situation. You Unless- have to consider that the animal is yours, regardless if it's a stray where you're talking about you should stop, you shouldn't vaccinate it. 
Well, just well, from my understanding, within five days, that's the, mm-hmm. isn't that the New York State required before you do any anything no. to the animal? No. So the new law is going to say it comes in the building and go the next day for vaccines. Yes. Even if it's had No, upon arrival. So oh. you could vaccinate and coming in the door. Yes. Could. Re- yes. Regardless but of if it's redeemed or not. That's going to be something that should. It should be done. It's it's recommended. Even if the dog said, sh- well, we find but, out the next day it's had a shot. Doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt that dog. No. No. So we've already had veterinarians have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Not, n- n- well, maybe not the veterinarians, but the owners. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I would. Well, the, yeah. <laughs> Keep your dog home. Don't let your dog run so that you have an unknown entity and you're going right. to bring in disease in. You hate to say it that way. I do understand why yes. minimize right. disease. Mm-hmm. So there's no, when a stray comes in, you don't know. Is it up to date on everything? Does I had nothing? Is it coming in with something? So we want to stop it. So, like, so a uh, uh, DHPP shot, we can administer ourselves here. Mm-hmm. So that would be having a relationship with a veterinarian and protocols on hand to say, okay, I have see this coming in. I have this coming in. How should I proceed? Do you need to be on premises? Uh, okay, you have an animal that's hit by a car. Where are you going? There's... Mm-hmm. Emergency clinics? Are you? Is that your protocol? Are you going to take it to the emergency clinic? Is it going to come here? Are you going to be able to have the veterinarian come here to euthanize? Or so all of that's going to have to be discussed and decided ahead of time. Procedures made. Right. Do they have to have that in writing, or just we have it's to all going to be in writing? Okay. All right. So yes. I need to meet with people then, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we have an understanding, but we've not ever written it down. Yeah. Yeah. At times, you know, there's some things so. Yeah. So it says here that all to vaccinate each animal in its custody with core vaccines is recommended. It doesn't have a time frame. So maybe that would all be done with your veterinarian. But everything is going to have to have a reason why you're doing it. And it's going to be have to be decided either by the veterinarian's protocol or the law. Yeah. Grooming. It's going to require grooming if needed. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's, yeah. it's a lot to process in your brain when you're thinking about what currently current standards are and how shelters are currently rescues are currently operating mm-hmm. versus what's going to have to change starting January 2025. Right. Right. So basically it's not it's ideal situation and care. So instead of handling a lot of animals where they're just in like a moderate situation or less, it's going to be as the best care as we can give them to the minimal amount of animals, you, well, to the maximum amount of animals you can care for at any given time. So what you have gets quality care. And 10% of your cages should always be open to handle an emergency. So there's a whole formula for capacity of care and who decides what you're going to keep open, who's where that animal is going, the movements, the path they have pathways or so everything is is um, what do you want to call it the ideas of what's best for the animal yep. have to come into play and procedures put in place. They also have a formula for the amount of people that you need to care for the animals. you get that in your consultation. So they figure at least 15 minutes just to clean, feed, and water an animal once a day. And you know that doesn't happen. It takes longer. So I came up with at least 45 minutes a day 
between caring for the animal and providing behavior and maybe just doing a quick assessment uh, on the animal for something. So one person, 45 minutes a day for one animal. And how many animals do you have here today? 20. 20. So do the math. So, yeah. We're way understaffed. Yes. <laughs> way, <laughs> way understaffed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Huh? And with no money forthcoming to cover all of this. Correct. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, should we move on to animal cruelty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> animal cruelty. Or is that it's animal enough. dangerous dog cases, I should say, and dangerous dogs, what's classified under the law is that? Because I'm sure that this um, ideal situation and care and this law is definitely going to be talked about a lot more on this podcast as we're getting into the new part of it, understanding what it is and what... Um, Animal shelters or pet owners need to know about about it on their end of things. But for our audience is interested to hear about what is um, a dangerous dog, what's classified as that, um, I'll pose a question to Patty. What would you, what's classified under Ag and Marcus as a dangerous dog? Well, there's a whole definition of a dangerous dog. So a dangerous dog is any dog that attacks or threatens to attack any person or livestock, or companion animal. So you don't have to get bit in order for you to take a dog to court to determine if it's a dangerous dog. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole definition. So when you go to court, you give that definition right to the judge. Yep. And And oftentimes you have to do that ahead of time because they they might handle one a year, you know, in a small community like ours. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Let me find my notes. Sure. No problem. So the... um, Dangerous dog, how how does that process in Wildman County go about? So if someone is being threatened by a dog or their livestock's being circled around and around by a dog or they've been bitten, uh, chased, anything that they consider is a danger to them, they call here and I set up an appointment for them to come in. We talk about what happens so I'm clear on what, what is happening. And this, this is a serious matter, so you don't want to take it lightly. And then they fill out a um, a form that we present to the judge. And then, um, then after they fill that form out, I take it to the court, and then the judge will assign it a hearing date. And then we do the hearing date, go in, and the dog owner and the victim, we'll call it the victim, or the victim's representative, if it's like livestock and it's a farmer, uh, or She's got a hobby farm or whatever. Um, they come in and then the discussion starts. I present the case to the court and then the judge will then. Some courts are, are real laid back. They kind of let us just chat and get the whole story out. Others, there is more of an inquiry. You know, I have to present it in different ways. Uh, but you get used to each court so you know what you're dealing with. And then the judge, it's all up to the judge at that time. I consider myself like the conduit from the dog owner and the complainant, I bring the paperwork together, get it into the court. Once it's in the court, it's really out of my hands at that point. The judge then makes the determination. And if he determines it to be a dangerous dog, there's four um, four requirements. They have to, it has to be licensed, has to be microchipped, it has to be spayed or neutered, and it has to be noted in the town you live in that you are harboring a dangerous dog. Then there's some... 
at least that's how we've been doing it. Then there's some a list of things that the judge can order beyond that. And I actually have a form that I've made out that the judge can use. It's like a checklist, and he can yeah, you know, it could be he could require this is could require the dog to be muzzled when it's leaves the doorway of their home um, and not be handled by anybody under the year of uh, 21 or older, um, cannot be chained out anymore or on a runner, has to be an enclosure. Um, there's a whole list of things, an insurance policy on the dog, and um, he kind of sets that amount. Um, so, Or it could be euthanized. It depends on what the judge, it's completely up to the judge. I find over the last 15 years that euthanizing is really rarely used unless the judge feels that it is a life or death especially for a human um and we've had a, we've had a couple cases where the dog dragged this kid right down the street and it was if there hadn't been intervention it could have probably been really bad those are only a few cases in my almost 30 years but or animals are killed i mean we've had dogs kill calves and things the judge feels that dog is needs to be put down. Then the dog owner, the owner of the attacking dog, has 30 days to appeal. Years ago, they didn't have that. So sometimes a dog, I'm going back at my early years, in the early 2000s and late 1990s, um, oftentimes the dog was put to sleep the next day. They didn't have an appeal process, which was tough. Now that now the dog owners could get a lawyer and appeal, and if they appeal, it goes to would go to county court at that time, and they can make their appeal. Because it always happens in the township that they are, that the incident yeah, occurred. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, so for instance, if two people are at Letchworth Park in Wyoming County, and there's a dog bite, and the person bitten wants to pursue a dangerous dog complaint, it would go to the town of Genesee Falls or Castile, depends on what part of the park or Perry. And we have to go there, even though they belong somewhere else. It has to go to the town that they happened in. Mm -hmm. We've had that, you know, here at our motocross, we had a bike case we had to do. And one lived in Hamburg and one lived in Tonawanda or something like that. And we ended up in front of the judge in Gainesville. So it has to happen. You know, those are hard places for a judge to be in. Because they don't even live in that area. You know? In other words, people keep control of your dogs, yeah, please. Yeah, it all comes down to <laughs> wise choices, you know. Uh, oftentimes, dogs, people don't realize that a dog's smell, hearing, visual, are such more excelled than ours. Then you take them into an environment where there's diesel fuel, loud banging noises, popping noises, Everybody's got cookers out with steaks and hot dogs. An and intact then, female around the corner. Yeah, kids running and screaming on bikes. I mean, they're so heightened, <laughs> and they're just overwhelmed. Even a really good family dog, maybe it's just an overwhelming thing for them. And it's just too much. And sometimes they just don't know what to do. And a situation like that may happen, you know. Mm -hmm. it, you really got to be a wise dog owner and to put them into that environment. It's like, eee. my dog's panic. You know, yeah. they they don't know what to do. They just sit and shake. Well, fear is one of the reasons why they mm -hmm. bite. They get afraid, yeah. you know. So. so the jump off from, from that for like ag and market standpoint or um, other animal control officer standpoint, um, that's what Officer Goodell, what she explained, is that typical standard across the board? It's typical how the process works, but it's atypical that she's so concerned that she brings these to light to, through the court. So we've been doing this 
kind of mm-hmm. like the same amount of years. And there are dog control officers that will not pursue a complaint. So a person or anybody who witnesses an attack or the parent of a child, they don't have to go to the dog control officer to file a dangerous dog complaint. They can actually go straight to the judge or justice. Because what happens is dangerous dog is not a crime that a person committed. It's an action that dog did. So the determination is on the dog. It's it's not the 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 owner. It's not like okay, you're an irresponsible person, so we're gonna you're under you know you're violating dangerous dog. It's the dog. So that changes things up, which confuses the courts. So you get all of your evidence together, and and as the dog control officer, or if the person goes to the magistrate themselves, they would have to present it, and the evidence has to be clear and convincing. So, which means that the evidence is highly and substantially more likely to be true than untrue. So, sometimes, and it can be prosecuted by the dog control officer, as Justa has done, or actually the municipal lawyer can also prosecute these cases. And sometimes they should, because sometimes it's uh, he said, she said kind of thing with, you know, little evidence. So to get to the point where the hearing is is set, then the judge has to determine ahead of time about the hearing. And some judges are like, no, I just set up a court date and you bring it to me. That is not how this works. And the judges are confused because they think they're not supposed to see anything before it's presented in court. So over the years, working with many judges, you're mm-hmm. training the judge as you go and Then, if you're up against a lawyer for the defendant, then it's difficult because they are insistent that they're, they know more than the dog control officer, which they probably do in most respects, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in dangerous dog. So that's when you should make the, uh, highly advise the lawyer for the municipality to handle. The other thing that happens, you're talking about euthanizing. So there's no provision in the law for a dog to be euthanized right away any longer. Mm -hmm. The only way that would happen is if the animal caused serious physical injury, which is impairment. Um, It's a step up from regular physical injury or just threatening. So Mm -hmm. if a dog is threatening, hasn't done anything, but you'd have to show that, yes, you believe the dog is dangerous, I'm a reasonable person. Step two, the dog actually bit somebody and it's not that bad, but the causing serious physical injury or death would be the cause Mm -hmm. for the euthanasia. Or showing vicious propensity. So, I've had dog control officers get complaints and never take these dogs to, to court. And this is the only time that you do not have to be a witness to the event to take a a dog to court. So you get a response, right? Just so you go, you talk to the two parties and they say, well, I do not want to, you know, it's my neighbor's dog. I don't want to cause a problem. And Justice says, I cannot let this go. Mm -hmm. The ambulance took the person away. I'm would be remiss and not responsible to the municipality to allow this dog to be here any longer. So she would then pursue the dangerous dog case on her own with the evidence that she can get. 
I've had dog control officers choose not to pursue dog control. I mean, excuse me, dangerous dog cases. And then the dog bites again or again, and you have nothing to show for that. The other problem is the health department receives the bite reports, and they're not obligated to tell the municipal dog control officer that a bite occurred. Mm. Yeah. So, so you have to have a nice working situation because if they see a repeated problem, they often, and I do work with them, part of my salary is with the health department. Because Excellent. I do a lot of uh, rabies um, preventative work in all the um, uh, clinics I'm responsible to be at. Okay. So you're actually an animal control officer then? Yes. So you go pick up specimens that are possible rabies yes. carriers? Okay. Yeah. So that's the difference between a dog control officer and an animal control officer. Animal control officers actually... Uh, through the health department. Yeah. That's how you get that determination. Other municipalities, they'll put it in their, their civil service description, mm-hmm. and they'll, they'll give that title. But the only definition in law is with the health department designee. Mm. So if we have a yeah. repeated, they'll see a repeated sick case, they'll give me a call and say, you might want to look into this. And that's fairly recent in our area, isn't it? Didn't you start well, we, as a doll control officer and it yeah. morphed into animal control? Yep. We still can't pick up raccoons, live trapping. We don't do all of that. Okay. But if they're deceased, because we don't have permits for that kind of stuff, we have no place to take them. We don't. So, you know, there are things we don't do that we will You have to have a permit to, to be transported. DEC permit to transport yeah. wildlife. Right. Correct. Right. The only, I, the only thing I did do on my own was I took a course at Hawk Creek for raptors to be able to know how to at least do the immediate, get it into a box, and then get it to them. So I'm not getting her, the animal. So I've been certified to do that. But I did that all on my own. So if I get a call from somebody and says, I've got a, you know, a wounded owl, I, I know how to transport it. I don't put it, bring it here. I usually don't even use my co- the county vehicle. I use my own, and then I take it to Hawk Creek. But I don't even do that much anymore. A lot of people just do it. They know about them and do it on their own. Mm-hmm. So, But I, for a few years, I was pretty busy with things like that, which was fun to do. But uh, the, my work's so busy here with doing the regular stuff that it's pretty hard for me to separate myself, you know. But um, I've done a few of that. I took a eight-week course and was certified at Hawk Creek for that. But that was above and beyond anything for the county required. So so I do want to say on Dangerous Dog that the owner of a dog is held accountable if the dog was deemed dangerous and then through negligence it bites another person or attacks. Mm-hmm. And then the owner can be charged with a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. So the fine for that would be $3,000 maximum or imprisonment, not to exceed 90 days, or both a fine in jail. So they could have both the monetary and jail time assessed. So hmm. it, it can get up there for a situation. So basically, be a responsible pet owner, and this comes down to the human-animal bond. They are still an animal Understand that, mm-hmm. and if your dog has issues, get a behaviorist or get a trainer to find out what the triggers are. There's nothing worse for an animal shelter than to get the call, I have to bring in my dog because it's aggressive. They've had that dog since it was a puppy. 
How do you adopt out the Eddie animal? They know everything about it. They know all the triggers, but they expect you to create a miracle and find a new home for that dog. Mm -hmm. We don't take them. Okay. We will not, because we know it's a euthanizing. Yes. It's and a, we, correct. We, to me, that's just a, that's a theft of services. That That's offering the community to euthanize their pet anytime they decide they just don't right. want the dog. Right. So I, I tell them you'll have to find someplace else to take it, or you need to talk to your vet. I, I hate to make those calls, yes. but that's up to mm -hmm. them. It's You're the owner. It's your pet. The county shouldn't be responsible. Well, we also have veterinarians coming out of school with uh, the knowledge given to them that they should not be euthanizing. And they will not just euthanize an animal, and they make it more difficult for a person. And sometimes people are now, I have this animal, I don't trust it, I don't want it in my home, and then it's dumped, and then you get it anyway. And then we've got our hands full. Yes, and that, mm -hmm. and that happens. That's why it's important to to assess them when they come in, yeah. really figure out what's going on with them. You know? Why were they Every stray I pick up, I think, is it's been dumped because it's behavior. Mm -hmm. So you have, I, have to, I have to walk that out first before I even know where we're going from uh, for adoption, which is frustrating for people who come in and we're still in the process of evaluating the dog and they don't understand why they can't touch it, they can't work with it. And we haven't even gotten a rabies shot done on it yet. And that's our policy here. Only staff with inoculations against rabies can touch a dog that has not had, we have no living proof of the rabies. No volunteer, no no, no board member Interesting. touches the dog until we have gotten that dog vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we hold it to seven days. So their seven first week year is just with staff. And it has worked out in our benefit because that's when we find out we shouldn't have it with older men. Or a man with a hat. Mm -hmm. right? All those little things we figure out before we hand it over to a volunteer. And then we have a volunteer bit, which we don't want to have happen here. Right. That's a good policy because the signs of rabies are going to be in the next 10 days. Yes. If that animal's a rabbit, it's going to yeah. show those signs. Yeah. And I don't want to hold it another 10 because we've got to quarantine a dog we have mm -hmm. no information on. Right. Because then their stay is even longer here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You quarantine after it bit somebody. Yeah. 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 So one thing, if it bites us, we're staff, we've got shots for it. Mm -hmm. It's another thing, if it bites somebody who has no shots for it, and they're just in here volunteering, I don't. we just don't want that to happen. And it could happen anyways, but at least we've gotten the shot in them, so we know then they were inoculated before the bite. I mean, we don't want, we've never had it happen, I should say that carefully, but guys, that's one of my biggest nightmares, is having a volunteer attacked by a dog that we thought was okay. Yeah. And it just, for something about the relationship, they bonded for a minute, the dog wasn't itself. And I do get people frustrated with me when I have to say no. They don't like it. I know they don't, but it's just for their benefit, really. And the dog, because once the dog is bitten here, we corner it for a tent, quarantine it for 10 days, and guess what happens then? It has to be euthanized. So you're setting the dog up for failure yes. by allowing them. Yeah, exactly. by letting to, your heart go, go out by the, you know, what they want. And I and I know it's tough. Yes. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. But it works. We love our volunteers. We do. We do. But it's difficult. And that's one way I show them that I love them, because <laughs> I don't let them get hurt. <laughs> or at least I try not to. So, yeah. So, what in ag and markets have we not covered thus far? I feel like we've touched upon 
Well, everything here or there. There's the new law where veterinarians are mandated to report suspicious signs of animal cruelty. Oh, nice. So, yes. So, is that under this? The one that's going to be passed in 2025? No, it's actually under, believe it or not, state education department law. So, yeah, because I thought it was something else. But let's see, section 6714, New York State Education Law, Article 135, Veterinary Medicine and Animal Health Technology. So, a veterinarian who suspects an injury, illness, or condition is the result of animal cruelty in violation of Section 353 of Article 26. Uh, must report and disclose records to any officer or authorized agent of a humane society or whoever's doing the investigation to respond to and investigate the complaint. So basically they'll call up the humane society and say, okay, I have somebody in here now. It's nice when they call and say, I have them in here now. Can you come? And then the officer can do an investigation. Sometimes uh, the people will bring an animal in for care and say, well, I can't afford this. And then they pull the animal out and go home. And they will also, when I work at Lollipop Farm, they will, the animal hospital will call Lollipop Farm and say, this animal does need veterinary care. It may not be cruelty yet, but it needs some intervention. And then they will go stop in. The veterinarians are concerned because then their client knows where the complaint came from. So we we just had a um, CE credit class by um, provided to veterinarians in Monroe County through Lollipop through Officer G. Domenico, and that was brought up a couple times by the veterinarians. <laughs> the comeback was, "Do you really want them for a client?" If their animal is at this point and they're not going to do anything about it. If it comes down to funding, that's where Lollipop Farm will step in. And they, they've been known to go pick up an animal from the home, take it to the vet that's at Lollipop, uh, repair a leg, surgically repair a broken leg, and then return it to the people. So times are changing. Things are More things are being done for animals, and it's it's the communication thing. Mm. But the veterinarians can no longer say, well, it's my client-patient relationship, so I cannot report it. So many, many years ago, when I worked at an animal hospital, dog came in with an embedded collar. Have you ever seen an embedded collar? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. They smell there, the part of the collar is is overgrown with skin, Still in there. and you're you're like, how could the owner not see this? Oh, I was angry, and I said to the veterinarian, "You need to call the police. This is animal cruelty," and he refused under the grounds that it was client patient relationship, and they were seeking care, so the animal was being cared for. Well. Being the way I feel about animals and you feel, it's like, you know, they still shouldn't have this animal mm -hmm. any longer. But back then, they couldn't do anything. Now, finally, 35 years later, that's changed. So the the big thing, too, that I see taking calls at uh, Lollipop in Rochester is uh, the thin horses. We get the thin horse call. And 
they're under a veterinary veterinarian care most of the time. Mm -hmm. So that's what you need to establish is that a veterinarian has been there. But then you also need the veterinarian to say, I've got to get you out here to Mm -hmm. check these animals. Mm -hmm. Because the person does, well, they had one where I think it was an eye, something was going on with the eye, and the person refused the veterinarian's care because it would have been too expensive. So... They reported it to the Humane Society, and the people just said, well, I can't care for the horse anymore. Here, you take it. And that's okay yeah, because they have the resources to do that. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really. Um, it's a good law. It's a very good law. Yes. It, it, but change is hard, so it's going to be yeah, something. Yeah, change is hard. I yeah, completely understand yeah. it from, like, some yeah. veterinarians' perspectives that yeah. they don't want to compromise any good standing they've had with a client 20 plus years things like that but you also have to realize when you see something you have to say something right. when it comes to animal cruelty especially because right. unfortunately if it's a young kid that's being cruel to an animal and they continue to thrive in that environment and no one says anything they grow up to be some of the worst human beings that imaginable. is so true sam that is fantastic about that's a one good point from my understanding and i might be a little off but not too off on this fact about close to 100% of um mass murderers people who commit homicide things like that they've started with an animal yes because it's an easy kill i grew up next to a murderer when i grew up there were uh, horses in our next lot behind us that's why i started loving animals Six years old, crawling under the fence to <laughs> pet the horses. And the kid next door had a BB gun. And he would go up in a tree and he would shoot the horses. And lo and behold, when he became, you know, 20-something years old, yeah, he killed somebody. He also used to start fires and he killed a cat in the neighborhood. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Red flags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys have seen them. Yep. Yeah. Animal control sees them. I'm sure veterinary offices have seen that. And that's why a law like this is important is that social services. Yeah. Yeah. And you're preventing things that are going to most likely happen in the future. Right. So, well, and you should, I feel like when you're talking about the veterinarian in the confidentiality, but I feel like I know for myself, you should have that relationship with your veterinarian where if they're recommending something, as a treatment or something that they're noticing that you might not have noticed, that's an ongoing relationship where if there's something major, mm-hmm. I, I guess, I mean, you, sh- you should kind of have that relationship. Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't come as a surprise to you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, if you're not listening and the vet is really saying this is a problem, mm-hmm. you know. It's another thing to, because um, animal cruelty obviously is illegal. And if you are taking your dog into or cat into a veterinarian office thinking you could get away with being cruel to this animal and continue doing it, this is just another law that's just a friendly reminder that, no, you're not going to continue getting away with being cruel to an animal and everyone hiding it under the table. Are you thinking about the case that you had in Genesee County with the dog getting into the drugs? No, I wasn't thinking about that, but yeah. So was a French bulldog, I believe, three times. Oh, no kidding. Yes. So the people were, you know, doing drugs and the drugs were left out and the dog got into it. And they're really in Article 26. It has to be intentional. But 
in one section of the law. But in another section of the law, it's just like your animal is exposed to a dangerous substance. So they ended up prosecuting after the third time the dog was affected by the drugs, even though they took it into the vet for care. And I'm not sure what section of the law they were charged with. But, yes, in that case, was it resolved? I can't recall if that... I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't remember all the specifics of that. But, that was just last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's well, that actually brings up another good point with like some other laws that have been um, passed and things like that. And I'm only saying this because we see an increase at veterinary offices in regards to marijuana and substance abuse and things of that nature for dogs getting into someone's stash or someone's medicine, however you want to describe it. Um, it would that be fall under animal neglect? Because you're neglectfully not taking care of your it items. It could be. Case law. So as soon as they get some case law on that, mm-hmm. then the, the courts will have more to, to uh, decide what, what section of the law they're going to use. Yeah. Because that would be section 353. Yeah. Because veterinary offices are getting like, oh, my dog's getting these symptoms. And now we're being a little more aware of, okay, mm-hmm. what are the symptoms in regards to a marijuana overdose or anything of right. that nature? And I've seen dogs act different ways. Some of them have that glossy eye. Then some of them go into seizures and there's just, it's different. I'm, maybe not seizures, but there's, from my understanding, not every case is the same with it. But sometimes it all boils down to they got into a substance they're not supposed to, such as marijuana that just recently was passed in New York State. Right. So sometimes people just aren't taking care of it. Yeah. And even secondhand yeah. is even secondhand good for them. But as you said, New York State made that legal. So how do they then? Well, I would think that the first time that the animal becomes infected or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. or affected, Mm -hmm. and then the person is aware of it, you would think then they would protect the animal from the exposure. So if you got your second and your third Mm -hmm. exposures that's affecting the health of that animal, I'm thinking, yes, you're going to take that to court with the cruelty violation. Fairly new. Precedent right now, yeah, really have it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Like you said, wait till it gets the case law. Yeah, cases like that. So there was another law that was passed. I'm not sure when, but the homeowners insurance discrimination. So Mm -hmm. basically, you can't ban a breed of dog uh, through insurance. So your insurance company cannot exclude a certain breed, and they. Excludes, I love that law. Let's see. Excludes reasonable increase mm-hmm. of rates. Yeah. Okay. So they can increase the rates if you have a dangerous dog. So in dangerous dog, you talked about that they can get a homeowner liability policy, but the maximum is $100,000. Yeah. We've had that happen. About two-thirds of the cases I do, that's put on to the, do- the dog owner. Yes. Which is wonderful. Yeah. Only if there's been an issue because the state now... They can't require it, but unless there's an issue, they can make you get the extra. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah. The the liability policy would be a requirement of the dangerous dog case, so it would be part of their right. restrictions on him, how to and keep they, the dog. If they don't deem the dog a dangerous dog, there's yeah. no, there's nothing. Right, right. We have cases... To go back to dangerous dogs, I don't know. Is that where we are still? Is it dangerous dogs? No, we just, no, we're on, the, we're on the homeowner insurance discrimination. Okay. All right. Well, 
um, as far as dangerous dog complaints go, it's rare that someone comes in and puts a complaint in that I don't go to court with. I would rather go to court and at least get it documented and told we're not going to deem this dog dangerous. And I have documentation then in case there's a, you brought up a prior or, or a, for, a future problem mm-hmm. later. And then someone says, why didn't you take them to court? And you can say, I did. And the judge didn't yeah, it's feel not that on it me was. at that point. Yes. Yeah. Well, and to put that onto the current topic now, the, the homeowners, um, the policies, the insurance policies, that's, also, another way to say, well, maybe my dog has had problems in the past, but no law or no judge has deemed it a dangerous dog. Yeah. So, if anyone makes a complaint about it, or mm-hmm. I don't know how that would go about or anything like that, but um, that's like a, your own proof that your dog's not dangerous in insurance yeah. purposes. Right. Yeah. Well, it could be, you know, the neighbor got bit, didn't even tell you, but they went through the homeowners mm-hmm. to get some f- uh, uh, funds back to pay for whatever the injury was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The other one is the return to owner. So the dog control officer or animal control officer now may return your dog directly to you out in the field rather than bringing it to the animal shelter if your dog is currently licensed. So dog licensing, a lot of people say, why should I license my dog? I don't want the government to know anything. Well, that's a good reason for you to have your dog licensed. And the dog should have a license tag on there. And you get your dog back without having to pay a fine. Mm -hmm. So here's your dog. We don't want it in the shelter. You don't want those in the shelter. And you don't want to be put in the position where you're taking a dog and the owner pulls up and says, that's my dog. I want it back. Because of the volatile nature of people yes. these days, especially when it comes to their animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that's still under the discretion, I believe, of an animal control officer, right? Correct. Well, so now we have more. We have that more flexibility. Mm-hmm. You go out, and uh, I actually have had it. And still have to provide proof. They didn't legal have ownership, a license, license right there. It's eleven o'clock at night. We're yeah. on, you know, major major highway. So I get all their info, and then I follow up on it, and there. I've never had anybody to say, oh, I'm not doing it too bad. They always, they are grateful we found it. Yeah. So far, that's what we've yeah. run into. Yeah. Well, if you're traveling with your pet at all anyway, in your vehicle, you should have a copy of the rabies certificate and mm-hmm. the dog license. Mm-hmm. So people just need to to do Step that. Just yeah. put it in, yeah, put it in your vehicle at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. But if the dog is dangerous, if it was a dangerous situation, well, you know, there's three re- reasons why you're going to pick up a dog. It's in violation, it's running around uh, in violation of New York State that it's unidentified. So it's an unknown dog, has no tags, you can pick it up. The other reason is that it's a threat to public safety. Did I say three? I think there's two. So, yeah. And the other one is in violation of local law. But you do have the discretion through local law whether or not to pick it up you know, and just... Mm-hmm. You know, serve tickets afterwards for right. a violation. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is that's nice. Yeah. So have control of your animals, people. Yeah. Yes. And so dog licensing. We've done a video on dog licensing, which is one of my favorite videos I've ever done. I think it's our first one we actually did. But dog licensing has been around for a long time in New York State, and it's interesting. You still will get people that would say. I didn't know the dog had to be licensed. I've lived here for generations or whatever. Our family's been here or whatever. And what is, what would you 
think or say is the best way to communicate that to the public, that, hey, there is such a thing as dog licensing. Is it just well, willful ignorance? Through, it- probably through enumerations, and the municipalities just don't have the resources to do an enumeration. Although you can do it through the mail, at least the first stop, there's a way to do it. But an enumeration is key. The other thing is just through a newsletter, through your municipality, or whatever means of marketing that you have. So if I have to get a dog license, I had some town say to me, what is that person going to get for their dog license? So you have to think about it in terms that, okay, my dog is licensed. Now I can get it back without having to pay a redemption fee. The other thing is ownership. So we have a lot of households where there's multiple people in the home. Who's responsible for the dog? Well, by law, there's two owners of a dog. Whoever harbors the dog, which is the person caring for it, the other one is the owner of record, who is the person that is on the dog license. So if something were to happen, so your dog is at someone else's home, that person allowed the dog in their house, that person's responsible for that dog as well as the, who the dog is licensed to. Mm-hmm. If it's at its own home and it, you have a mother and a, and a child, if the child's over 18 the, and the dog is licensed to that adult in the home, then the adult child and the homeowner are responsible. So I had a dangerous dog where I brought both the parent and the daughter to court because of the liability with the dog getting loose in that. So dog licensing can also be used in cases of, well, it's my dog. It's, it's, I'm the girlfriend. I moved out. It's my dog. So if there's no other proof of ownership for the animal, that's all you have is what's in Article 7. Mm-hmm. So there is lawyer talk, and we always have the lawyer talk. So I was also advised by a lawyer that you could use other forms of ownership to determine the owner. And that would be through paperwork if you bought the animal. So it would be a bill of sale. And the other part would be veterinary documents. So it's always good to have a picture of your dog, everything put in your name to establish ownership and, uh, you know, decide ahead of time whose dog is it. And if there were anything were to happen, who's responsible? All right. Well, um, I, I think the next section to move on from there is the questions from the members. I didn't realize what time it was. We got into a really big conversation about this, and I definitely am going to be asking Patty if she could come back in the future to continue it for another another session. But um, given the time restraint that we have here, let's go on to the members' questions, and that will help wrap up the this episode of the podcast today. Let me see where I said. Oh, there I said everything. Okay. And I thank them for being so patient and listening. Yeah. Can I just say one more thing, though? Yeah, certainly. Stealing a dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you find a dog, you can't just keep that animal. It's someone's personal property. You must report it to the local authorities that you have the dog. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. thank you. That is definitely a big, big hardship that comes on when someone says, oh, I found this dog, but I don't want to take it to the dog pound and things like that. But, well, legally, you have to. Correct. It's so, not your animal. No, it's not an option at that point. It's You have to bring it in. Mm-hmm. Or it has to be brought here somehow. 
All right, so I have, let's see. Who should I ask first? So Cody from Wyoming, New York asks, how do you tell the difference between a reputable dog breeder and a potential puppy mill operation? We may have touched upon this a little bit, but can you give off the top of your head some clear indications or things we've already mentioned? What do you girls think? <laughs> well, to me, the big one is, is that breeder going to be responsible for that animal for life? Which means if something goes wrong, are they available to take that animal back? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I know one key. that does that, and that's the first thing she will say to, does the breeder offer to buy that animal back or take that animal back if it doesn't work out? Right. Do they have health guarantees? Are the parents there? Mm -hmm. Do they have uh, other people that have bought dogs from them that you can talk to? Um, are there yeah. other red flags going mm -hmm. up? And I just talked about it earlier, too. Do your research. Mm -hmm. you yes. Know? I'm guilty yeah. of Craigslist uh, myself. But How did that go? I love them. Um, but I knew what I was getting into. Okay. it's I knew what I was getting into. So, um, you know, for me, it worked out. But... Good. If you're if you're looking for something purebred, I think you've got to do your research. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. if they don't have the parents, if there's just some red flags, which is usually if you feel sense, off yes. about it, there probably is something yep. off about it. Yes. Yep. So the licensed pet dealers with New York State, you can go on the Ag and Market website and find those dealers, and. It sounds terrible, the connotation dealer, but you have to understand that's just legality words. So New York State Ag and Markets also inspects horse dealers, cattle dealers, swine feeders. I mean, every there's all different kinds of titles. So for them in the law, dealer was the optimal word instead of, you know, responsible dog breeders. Mm -hmm. So don't let that turn you off. But you can find all of the inspection reports for those breeders online. So, mm -hmm. yep. So there's a map of New York state and you click on it on a county that you're, you're want to look through and it'll give you uh, who's licensed mm -hmm. and then you can find their inspection reports. That is great information. And it's just a satisfactory or an unsatisfactory, mm -hmm. but at least it's something, you know, mm -hmm. there's oversight to some degree. Yep. Yep. That's really good. That's a really good tool. Um, let's see. So we probably a lot of these questions I think we've touched upon too, but it's good to address them individually, especially for our members who are able to ask these questions. Um, Maddie from Arcade wants to know, what do you do to report neglect abuse that you see and what kind of information will you need to have to pass along to the proper authorities? Ooh. So when I'm answering the phone, the first thing I ask is if you are the, the witness or if it's passed on information. To really get something done, you need to be the eyewitness and know an address. And if it, you can help with a person's name, if it's a rental facility, any kind of information you can, then people will come to the conclusion that this is cruelty instead of saying exactly what they saw. The animal has sores. The animal is crying and whining. Um, the facility has fecal matter everywhere. So they're making the determination versus saying, uh, this is what I see. So paint the picture. 
Mm-hmm. Paint the picture and then as much information as you can give the person who needs to go out and investigate. Because the more ammunition the investigator has, the more prepared they are. So when somebody says, uh, you knock on their door and my, my dog wasn't out there at, you know, whatever time you're saying. It's like, well, they were. That's when the call came in and we have, you know, and in your name is not going to be used. The only time you would ever have to sign a document would be if there was a warrant that needed to be uh, gotten through a magistrate. But if you send an investigator out, they become the complainant to the magistrate. So Mm -hmm. your name would not be used. So don't be afraid to report the cruelty. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, don't be disappointed if nothing happens that you feel should happen when you report it. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I had a call, multiple calls from all of the neighbors. There was a gentleman who had a Boston Terrier puppy outside in a dog kennel all the time. It had shade. It had food. It had water. The dog was fine. Nobody liked to see that puppy alone in that dog kennel. We went out. Oh, well, the investigators went out, checked it out, had a conversation. They brought it in. They put it back out again. So the neighborhood was not happy with that result. So the laws are not always going to be able to be enforced to the degree you would like them. And I hate to say it, but somebody ends up stealing the puppy mm. out of the, its kennel. Mm. And just, yeah, they just took it. Yeah. So that was one way to resolve their situation. <laughs> Uh, luckily, the gentleman didn't have a camera on there to figure out who that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yikes. Yes. So, um, and next question I'll move on to is uh, Brendan from uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, actually wants to know, what is the most challenging thing you have experienced as an ag market inspe- investigator or inspector? I'm sorry. The most challenging. Mm-hmm. The most challenging I was hired by Ag and Markets for the pet dealer law, although I did a lot of other things. The challenging part, and the farmers are going to be upset, is that when I would uh, inspect livestock markets and some of the conditions that you would see, some of the farm animals come in through the livestock markets. So you just wonder how the animals get to that point, and you don't know if the animal is sick or you know what happened, but. Um, it's it's very hard sometimes not to be able to say something. Mm-hmm. But if they're going to the auction, you know that it's being dis- dispensed with anyway. Um, I did get in trouble with a gentleman with horses because he would go and buy horses that were lame for his um, trail ride business. This was many years ago. So I walk in this barn, and being a horse person, they could barely stand on four legs. So you could tell they were lame. Their heads were all hanging. They were all depressed, looked terrible. He did no Coggins test on anything. That was one of the reasons why we were there. And um, the veterinarian I was working with had to drag me out of the barn. So... Because I was like, okay, yeah, these these horses really need some veterinary care. Uh, that was challenging. And then the people that don't see 
that the surrounding area of their animal is also the conditions that those pets are kept in. Mm-hmm. And they have junk piled everywhere. You cannot clean and disinfect and keep a clean environment with kenneled animals if you have newspapers, blankets, toys, stuff thrown everywhere, and you never move those kennels out. You never get around them. There's dog hair or cat hair everywhere. And why is the odor? Why odor is key? And odor is difficult to express in a report. So you have to kind of put it as, how bad did my nostrils sting or my eyes burn, right? Mm-hmm. Or my throat ache when I came out of a situation? And it's not a laughing matter, but yes. But yeah. So, um, and there's a, a distinctive odor of urine that is, this is going to sound crazy, fresh urine and fecal matter, and then the old mm-hmm. odors that you know that is built up in the materials in the kennels. People use wood and it absorbs, even painted wood, you know, stuff like that. So I must say though, that New York State really, I, I, I was, it was a pleasure to work for them. And I had a, a very good, successful, fulfilling career. I didn't consider it a job at times. This is more our passion when we do anything with animals and just getting people to understand that having, you know, a lot of things crammed into a room with some dogs in it is not good. Mm-hmm. And, um, or even in their home. I mean, I had one lady, one woman, I told her, it looks like a tornado went through your house. This is why I get complaints. She's trying to sell dogs. She's selling them in her house, but her house itself was filthy. And then she tells me on the weekends, she doesn't clean. Everybody cleans their house on the weekends because I was there on a Monday. And I'm like, yeah, the laundry's on the floor. There's flour on the counters. I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. <laughs> she was also the one that when I first started with her, she had her puppies in cages and then no bedding underneath the wire flooring. Mm. And then she'd put that right in her toilet to dispose of. Yes. Oh. So... It's been fun. It's, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I've either been thanked or, or, or asked to, to leave. To leave. So. <laughs> and they're not so polite. Correct. Yet. Correct. Um, yeah. Sherry um, from Perry, Cheryl from Perry, actually um, has a question in regards to um, communities that kind of work independently. How how it's phrased is, do specific groups of people, such as Native Americans or Amish or Mennonites, people that are allowed to govern their own communities independently, have to abide by New York State ag and market laws? Oh, that's Or are they an one. exception? The reservations are an exception. So they do not have dog licensing on the Indian reservations. They handle all of their own dog control. And I know that at one point... The health department, New York State Health Department, had rabies clinics set up in order to do the rabies vaccinations. Mm-hmm. So they work hand in hand with that, but pretty much they're sovereign. Mm. And the Amish, I don't believe are sovereign. Oops. Mm-hmm. But um, I have not heard of any situations in our state that, that would be a concern okay. with that. Mm specific group of individuals okay 
That's interesting because they're they're worried about like if puppy mills come from Amish places as opposed to some other places. But as we discussed already, they come basically all over. Correct. And the Amish in New York State, I mean, they do have uh, the puppy mills, so called, which really is not a definition uh, of a puppy mill. Mm -hmm. So they had to be inspected by USDA. And now that the pet stores are shut down, there's a lot of in-state places that now just have to sell directly to the consumer, and then they're pet dealers. Mm -hmm. So they're regulated. So you just have to make a choice on where you're going to get your pet from. Let's see. And I think this will probably be this will probably be the last question because some of these questions are very, very similar, and I think we've touched upon all of them already. Uh, Tina from Wyoming wants to know, what are the strictest laws on the books regarding animal abuse, and what laws do you feel need to be more strict or more, um, more work needs to be done? I cannot answer those questions, but Officer Reno Domenico, over at Lollipop Farm, would probably enjoy a conversation with anybody who has ideas. Mm -hmm. He is part of the Animal Protection Federation board. He offers himself for training to police officers mm -hmm. on um, all animal cruelty situations. Plus, uh, he will instruct them and when to use a weapon against a dog coming mm -hmm. at them. And we've had this conversation about how do we get the law to be more specific in certain areas? And he would be the one that would tell you where the roadblocks have come through court cases. Mm. But I would say, for me, the worst thing would be uh, torturing an animal. Mm -hmm. That To me, that would be the worst. And you have to understand, these laws, this cruelty law was established when you had, it's under ag and markets, and you had horses drawing carts and... Years and years ago. So they've made some changes, but some things do need to be updated. updated. And so when I have frustrated individuals that say, why can't you do this? I send them to their local assemblyman or senator or, mm -hmm. you know, you got to go to People somebody who get things in done. politics. Yep. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Well, this has been very enjoyable, very educational. I am so... so thrilled that you asked me to come. <laughs> I am so happy you came. This is really cool. It's great information. What do you want to leave the audience with? If you have like one message or anything you want our audience to take away from this, what would it be? Laws are difficult. And I came into the being a regulatory person with the idea that you tell somebody something, they're going to comply. It's difficult to make people comply. And the other thing is that it doesn't matter what we say. If it goes to court and a judge throws it out, which they're a neutral party, it, it ends there. So there's frustration involved in some of it. Mm -hmm. But just be aware. And if you have questions, ask. Mm -hmm. And the dog control officer is not the dog warden of old that snatched up animals and you never saw them again. That's just ridiculous. So your animal groups in your community, whether they're rescues or your volunteer groups or the animal shelter, they're all trying to work together 
to solve the issues. Mm. Have a question, call somebody. If they don't know, they'll refer you to somebody else. And I'm always happy to talk to somebody. But you have my number, Sam. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Chow. Um, by the time this episode airs, we are right around the corner from Christmas. So I'm just going to say happy holidays and Merry Christmas to everyone. We'll see you in the new year. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Chow Podcast, hosted by Animal Friends of Wyoming County. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.animalfriendsofwyco.com. And if you're interested in adopting a dog, please call the Wyoming County Animal Shelter at 585-786-8938. This has been a production of Knox Luna Films, LLC.